Happy Monday, Horribles. Now, I know what you're thinking. This uh, Pride ended two weeks ago, right? Well, not here. It's still our supersized Pride because we have a lot of content to share with you and we didn't think that just June was enough time to celebrate all the queer horror that's out there. So we're still going with some of our rebroadcasts and some brand new episodes this week. Uh, today, we couldn't let all of this go by without revisiting the queer awakening of, of so many uh, teenage boys in the slasher genre. Uh, that's right. We're talking about Scream. We're talking about the unsettlingly hot murder boyfriends of Scream. Um, so this is uh, an episode we recorded with uh, TJ Finnessy earlier this year. It's a lot of fun. We really enjoyed doing it. A lot of people really enjoyed it when it came out. Um, so we're happy to share this again. We do have a sequel to this coming up in the next few weeks. So we're going to have TJ back again soon to talk about Scream 2. In the meantime, this Friday we'll be talking about Freaky, uh, which is still brand new compared to most of what we talk about. Um, we're excited to, to get some folks in and really uh, dig into this one. But in the meantime, we present to you Scream... Until Friday, stay horrified. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the 1996 meta-horror blockbuster Scream. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, do you want to play a game? Yes, because like Drew Barrymore, I'm bad at them. <laughs> Next up, my frequent collaborator and comics artist and certified vampire aficionado, Emily Martin. Emily, what's your favorite scary movie? Um, The Lost Boys. <laughs> is that your final answer? No, but um, it is uh, scarily accurate. And uh, for, for scarily the- accurate, and at what? What part of in the- Santa I- Cruz? It, it is in Santa Cruz. There's no yeah. doubt. It's scarily accurate to what it feels like to be in Santa Cruz. Yes, that checks out. <laughs> and our special guest tonight. One half of the Gotham Outsiders podcast and noted Scream enthusiast, TJ Finnessy. Hello, TJ. Hello, how are you? I am Be not going to do this voice the whole night. I promise. <laughs> it's I a will, great though. voice, Jeremy. It it's does sound good. like it's going to destroy your throat. <laughs> I have lots of coffee. <laughs> so before we get into our usual section... Because Scream is such an iconic movie, I thought it might be helpful to start out by saying, like, what are each of our experiences with Scream, this movie, and the franchise, like, going into it, going into tonight? Can I go first? Yeah, yes, absolutely. please do. Okay, so I was born the year this movie came out, and Ugh. I know, I saw I it for the first I have just turned time. to bones and dust. <laughs> I'm a youngin. I saw it for the first time maybe three, maybe four years ago give or take a quarantine year, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I had seen the first scary movie at one point as a child. And of course, that's kind of like 
making fun of this movie. So to me, they were one and the same. And I forget, <clears throat> and I forget how I got got it in mind to watch Scream, but I went out of my way and did it. And I, I, I had no idea what to expect, but I fell in love with it. And just Sydney Prescott is like the final girl for me. I love her so much. It's so rare to find a franchise, a horror franchise that follows just a group of characters in every film. So the fact that she, spoiler alert, comes back for every single one is so great. Cause like Ghostface is iconic, but Sydney Prescott is like just as iconic. Yeah. If not more, like it's a level of it's a level of final girl and like the protagonist associated with a franchise, right? In a way, I really can't think of any other examples of except for the one they love citing in this movie, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Yeah, Jamie Lee, and I guess Sigourney Weaver with Alien, kind of. Oh, but, I, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, geez, I just didn't even think about that just because that's a like her still like. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if she's in like oh, yeah. the spinoff ones, but but yeah, I just love it. And I've all the I binged the sequels and here I am. I'm so excited to talk about it. Yeah, even Jamie Lee like fades out for a few of the the Michael Myers movies in the middle. Um for for me, this was middle school for me. Um this is the first uh this is the first horror movie that I remember seeing new. Like um, you know, I had not been allowed to watch too much in the way of like real r-rated scary movies um and this one was one that like was mine that i rented when my brother was like having a sleepover with friends his age who were you know younger and they were doing their own thing so like he had the kids movie and i got the like serious adult movie um that's the still you know until this week that was the only time i'd ever seen scream um and i i think I missed out on a lot of the stuff that's in this movie because I had no like uh, no reference because so much of this movie is about scary movies um, that like not having seen a bunch of horror movies, I like I was new to everything that they're saying. Like every line that uh, Jamie Kennedy has in this movie sounds extremely insightful to me. (laughs) What a fucking power move of a career this movie is for Wes Craven like yes Yes. I forged my career defining the slasher genre and now I'm going to rebirth my career by deconstructing the genre I created what a legend literally like I was (laughs) looking this up and Wes Craven had decided he wasn't going to do any more scary movies and apparently like they'd been chasing him for this movie he had said he wasn't going to do it and apparently like a 10-year-old fan told him that he had gone soft. And so, like, the next day he was like, fuck it, I'm doing that scary movie. That ten, Can we find that 10-year-old and give them an award? They are a hero. <laughs> My experience with this movie, I think, is going to be a little unique. Ever seeing Scream. But I... But... Incredible. What I did see was Scary Movie. Yes! The parody of Scream that also throws in I Know What You Did Last Summer and a whole bunch of other movies, which one of my, one of the things that I absolutely loved about this movie was more than any other horror movie I can think of, this was a whodunit. This was a mystery. There were clues. There, there's a bunch of red herrings. Like I was so into the, the mystery of it. And the thing with Scary Movie is it absolutely spoils the movie, 
but it also throws in a whole bunch of things that are spoilers for different movies or just makes other shit up and just throws like stuff along. So I had spoilers, but I also had spoilers that were completely inaccurate. So I like, <laughs> so I went in knowing what maybe could happen, but like having received like the most unreliable narrator version. Like I went into like in scary movie, uh, I guess like spoilers for scary movie. Uh, it turns out that like the Dewey analog is the true mastermind behind everything because they wanted to do a usual suspects reference. This is really, really interesting to me because what you're going through now is some sort of like, is your own deconstruction of the genre from the parody perspective. And it's now- wild. Yeah, and now you're trying to solve the mystery with the cultural context clues. I was so through the looking glass. Yeah. What's like, super interesting to me about the relationship between this movie and scary movie is that one, this is sort of a parody of horror movies in its own way. It's, it is as much comedy as it is horror, which is I think unique because most, most movies that are comedy and horror fall pretty hard to one side or the other. And uh, Scream manages to maintain that balance throughout. Not to mention Kevin Williamson, who wrote the screenplay for this, his original working title for this was a scary movie. and so like it wasn't until after this movie had already been filmed and sold that they changed the name to scream i so i love scream i'm gonna have pretty much nothing but glowing things to say about for the next two hours uh i will throw a little shade another thing that made me not know what's original the scary movie what scream uh scary movie has black people in it and scream doesn't so i didn't quite know who like the analogs always were yeah scream couldn't be whiter if it tried Scream, every actor in Scream, there was one person of color who was, uh, I believe, a news anchor, but they were on the screen for like 10 seconds. But the everybody, all of the actors are in like super white cake face makeup. Like they are whiter than they normally are <laughs> in this whole film, which is just like kind of bananas to me. But um, I have a pretty weird relationship with this movie because... Um, I actually heard about it from the filming uh, on-site signs that I saw on the side of the road in Marin County. Um, I'll be talking about this because um, my partner, Brett, he grew up in Santa Rosa. I've lived in in the Santa Rosa, Sonoma, Marin kind of area for about 20 years now. And I've, I spent a lot of time here in my childhood. Um, and all of this movie is in is filmed in Santa Rosa, Marin County I mean, like 99%, as far as I know, um, all the all the on-site filming uh, was done here in Sonoma County and a little bit in Marin. But I had no idea what it was until a year later when it was on TV and it was, and I didn't really connect the dots so much because I'd forgotten seeing these signs on the side of the road. You know, it's like spray painted signs. Um, and uh, I had not seen it in the theater, but I saw it on cable, like on repeat. And I saw alternate versions. There's a couple alternate cuts out there that have more gore and less other stuff, which is weird. Really? Um, I did not know there were multiple cuts. Of- I hope I saw yeah. the right cut then. I think you did. I mean, the only cuts that I saw, all of the, the versions that I saw streaming were the same length. Um, it's the- wild what movies were like constantly on loop on 
pay-per-view in the 90s the scream movie and it was right around the craft and and like a lot of those 90s movies with matthew lillard and them happening so it was sort of part of my 90s lifeblood at that point so i saw it it was basically like moving wallpaper for for a good year of my life because it was always on cable and i'd be like oh scream and i just watch it also i'm updating my favorite scary movie it's alien oh great choice i feel like (laughs) There was a five-year period where anytime I had a sick day from school, I knew I was going over to pay-per-view and it was time for an Armageddon, I know what you did last summer, like <laughs> double feature. So talking about different like cuts of the movie, Drew Barrymore just recently did a watch-along uh, where you could tune in on CBS and watch. And it, I, I tried to That's do- That's so interesting. I, know, I was so excited and it was an edited cut for TV. So <sighs> as soon as I got to the part where Drew Barrymore doesn't scream- and he'll kick the shit out of you. I was, <laughs> no, I was like, what? I can't watch this. Like, Okay, if we're diving into that opening scene. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Uh, yeah, I do want to say the part of the reason that a whole bunch of cuts exist is that the MPAA was insisting on giving this movie an NC-17 for the longest time. Um, and Wes Craven apparently kept cutting it and cutting it and cutting it. And finally, he had to get uh, Bob Weinstein involved to go talk to the MPAA to manage to get them an R rating. And apparently all he had to do was tell them that it's actually a comedy. Um, and the MPAA was like, oh, well, that's fine then. It's an R rating. Um, that's so, uh, like, would you say there's anything, I mean, it's a gory, violent movie, but is there anything crazier here than like Nightmare on Elm Street? I mean, by today's standards, it's, I mean, it's nothing. I, yeah. I think, you know, we're, I, I don't know if it's that we're dealing so closely with like, teenagers and you know a time when like you know uh, teenagers killing teenagers was like a very sensitive topic (laughs) well there was um there's not any sort of nudity in the film Mm -hmm. um the uh the closest we get to nudity is um rose mcgowan's fabricated nipples showing through her um they're not i'm I'm pretty sure they're not yeah, but they're not her actual. I'm pretty sure they're not her actual nipples because she's wearing too much clothes for that. But like, I hope they're her real nipples. I mean, it's like I, I imagine it's like putting a, a false horn on a real unicorn. I truly don't know what to make of that particular <laughs> element in that scene. Was Harvey Weinstein there that day? <laughs> Ugh, um, um, yeah, yeah, that scene also was featured in the ads with her like uh, nipples. Of course, it was. Yeah, which is really funny. And I'll, I'll get I to mean, that as spoilers, well. Spoilers, but the fact that they, it's like you can cut from like, oh, here she is in the house without the erect nipples. Now she has taken two steps with super erect nipples because <laughs> we need to be as horned up for the depth scene as possible. It's so funny because it's so <sighs> absurd. I love it. It's the closest thing we get to nudity. And the, the cut version that I saw had more guts and that was the only difference. Yeah. Well, like, let's, let's jump into that's falling out more. Let's hit our basics here before we uh, before we jump into the spoilers because I can feel us all itching to get there. Uh, like we said, oh, it's yes. directed by Wes Craven. Uh, it you know Wes Craven you probably know from everything: uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Last House <laughs> on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing, that that horrible Swamp Thing movie, not the TV show. Uh, the people under the <laughs> look, stairs. Crisis, look, look, it's Brooklyn. canon. Crisis on Infinite Earths happened. All the live action <laughs> adaptations exist in one multiverse. It counts. Sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> crossover Jedi. with Supergirl any day now. <laughs> you might also know him from his light janitorial work. Um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, it's written, yeah, as I said, by play. Kevin Williamson, who like I do want to talk a little bit about Kevin Williamson because uh, he is from he is from North Carolina. Um, 
And he wrote this, like he he's the creator here. He's also wrote, I know what you did last summer, the second screen movie, The Faculty, Dawson's Creek. He created the following, the Kevin Bacon show that was just on TV. He adapted the Vampire Diaries to TV. He wrote and directed Teaching Mrs. Tingle. And it's extraordinary to me that I didn't know that there was one out gay man who is responsible for such a huge chunk of 90s teen culture. And like, that is extraordinary to me. Uh, also that he's married to George Hatsiopoulos, who is uh, from the Fashion Police, if you if anybody's ever I watched that. I swear to God, I thought you were going to say but... George Costanza. And I'm like, <laughs> no. whoa, I didn't know George Alexander was gay. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, icon. But um... yeah, I love Kevin Williamson. The, these last few years, like I just went out of my way to watch I Know What You Did Last Summer. You know, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. So those two things combined, and the fact that he's involved in the Her movie. and Freddie Prince Jr. Oh. are so good in that movie. And yes. I love that that's where like, they met, and they've been fucking married forever since. Did the faculty, was that also directed by Wes Craven, or they just, those two, Scream and so. the faculty are just so similar in my mind? I mean... <laughs> the faculty is not what you would expect from the phrase John Stewart horror movie. Right. Yeah. Um, um, as for who this movie stars... It's everybody. This um, cast is so good. Yeah. And like most of them are right at the start of their careers at this point because it's, I mean, because the big star, the big deal about this movie was that Drew Barrymore is in it, which is something we'll talk about shortly. But Drew Barrymore, Nev Campbell, Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy, and Liev Schreiber. Um, yes. Which feels and- like... Liev Schreiber being in that bit role feels like an MCU style. We're setting this up for the next movie. He's gonna we gotta <laughs> oh, he comes for the back. Role. Don't worry, he comes okay. back. Yeah, did this they, movie- they got a whole ass Liev Schreiber for that part is is astounding planning for this well, time I, for me. I think when Kevin Williamson sold the script, he also sold either the idea or also script for Scream Two. So like oh, they cool. kind of knew what they were gonna do going in. So. Every, this movie, because this this and The Craft both came out in 1996. This had to have been filmed at least a few months after The Craft was filmed, based entirely off the length of Skeet Ulrich's, Ulrich's hair, or Ulrich's hair. And I know we bagged on Skeet Ulrich pretty dang hard on The Craft. Take all that, throw it all away. He's, he's so, so good. He's so good in Scream. He's, he's so hot. He's so hot. Yeah. He's fantastic in this movie. Oh, <sighs> Um, also, uh, is it, it's Henry Winkler, Harry Winkler? Oh, yeah, Henry Winkler. The Wink. The Fonz. The Fonz. He's great as the Fonz, but he is not just that one role. He is one of America's greatest living character actors. His presence graces and delights every production his presence is included in. He is the Wink. Yeah, he is the kiss of life. Yeah, as, as for what it's about, uh, it takes place a year after the brutal death of the main character, Sidney Prescott's mother. Uh, two new deaths occur in town, and now somebody is calling her and stalking her friends and planning to launch a new terrible scheme that is somehow related to her mother's death as well. Um, and scare level, guys, do we would we say this is spoopy as a not scary, spooky as a little scary, terrifying, or existentially disconcerting? All of them. I, yeah, I would say spooky just to kind of balance it out because there's a lot of the fun stuff and the dumb stuff 
it is delightful enough to sort of lighten the mood. But um, there are some scenes that are very strong as horror in this movie that is kind of amazing because of how just um, meta it is. But there's still some some very, very good scary scenes here. Yeah, I don't find it scary, but like I find it thrilling. Like it gets my heart going. (laughs) I thought I think there are moments in this movie that are spoopy that are scary, that are like truly terrifying, especially the opening scene. Um, I think that especially with, um, you know, we'll get to this, but some characters in their particular brands of misogyny is pretty existentially terrifying. Oh yeah. Um, And what's incredible is these different tones of moments do not conflict with each other. This movie does them all and it pulls all of them off. Yeah, I, I think this movie is often scary, often spooky, uh, even though like it is also deliberately spooky in places. And I think a lot of that is a testament to Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson. The way that this script and Wes Craven sort of just kind of sets up dominoes and just at the, the point that he needs them to fall, he just hits the first one and they all go down and like... I- you you don't realize how much of it he set up until like it all starts going down and then you're like oh 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 no oh that okay oh no <laughs> one thing i was thinking about this movie came out in 1996 would would this have been one of the first movies and especially horror movies where cell phones were a major story component <laughs> yes yes yeah and we'll we'll talk about the fact that cellular phones are an important plot device in this movie like there's yeah. some plot nonsense of cell phones but i'm also just thinking like humans with the ability to now communicate with each other from any as fucking tj now appears with his goddamn ghost face mask <laughs> the ability Aww. the ability now to communicate with someone from anywhere and you don't know where they might be but they can still communicate with you. That is an entirely new phenomenon in 1996. And it's something I think this movie actually does a really good job of exploring the horror aspects of. Yeah. Yeah. And then talking about, I mean, that's sort of going into our trigger warnings. Um, There is lots of blood in this movie. They're stabbing, they're shooting. There's lots of jump scares. There's lots of specifically sound cue related jump scares, uh, if that's a problem for you. There is massive amounts of stalking and gaslighting. That's the main uh, things that I would caution people about in this movie. Uh, if, if either of those are triggers for you, that's the, the big stuff. Is there anything else anybody wanted to add to that? Um, Power a state with the amount of gas power like gaslight yeah power. yeah that high school hallway scene where he's like get over it i'm like <laughs> oh god and then the, the pressure the pressure to like the insidious pressure that on Nev campbell's character to have sex that was that's a thing that yeah, i don't I want did. to talk too much about that because yeah. it is so very plot relevant i did yes. appre- i did like that one line though of him being like get over your mom's death because i'm like okay if we're casting a horror movie it's good that he knew we needed a chip <laughs> yeah that it's literally the thing we've accused at least five other horror movies of doing indirectly that well, he actually de- says it 
That's the definition yeah. of a chip is whenever we get some variation of God, get over the horrible trauma slash supernatural event you're going through. All right. So all that said, that is the end of our non-spoilery section. We're going to jump into the recap here. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to go see it, go do it. Otherwise, here we go. <laughs> so let's talk about the first. Let's talk about the first scene because the first scene is probably other than maybe the last couple scenes, the most defining thing from this movie. It's certainly the thing most people know about. Um, we could do an entire episode on just the opening scene, yeah. I feel. Because they, they made an incredibly bold choice in this, which is to cast Drew Barrymore as their, their biggest lead to talk the most about her being in this movie of anybody and then to immediately murder her in the first scene. It works. So it's such a bold choice and it's so strong and it works so well. Um, it is a very long scene, though. It does give her a lot of spotlight um, in that bit, and filmed in beautiful Glen Ellen. I think Drew uh, Boy. I think Drew Barrymore chose this uh, part. I think they gave her the option of like, "What do you want to do?" And she was like, "Oh, I want to like make this iconic." Yeah, like I feel like she was also thinking like, "Oh boy, I can get paid a lot and only have to be on set for like two days." <laughs> that too. <laughs> but also the fact it is Drew Barrymore, there's like. It is a complete act one, two, and three horror movie in seven minutes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Kind of like an yeah. opening, it's a thesis statement, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Scream. It is a James Bond cold open. Yeah. For Ghostface, yeah. kind of. Yeah, because she, so we, we start with Drew Barrymore uh, hanging around at her house, popping popcorn by herself, getting ready to watch a scary movie, and she gets a phone call from the voice um this Great voice boy. is this voice is other than uh the other than uh, sydney prescott the most consistent thing about this if franchise ghost, probably the most defining thing about it if ghostface's voice actor hasn't started an asmr channel <laughs> they're fucking saying on a gold mine i don't know if i'd want that but. you say you would but then you'd be like well i gotta check it out they'd be like oh this is working surprisingly well <laughs> yeah and this, this sort of starts off with him like asking her questions about what she's doing and about scary movies and the first two times you know she she hangs up on him then she decides to sort of play along a bit um and uh he the ghost face finally sort of drops the uh oh i, I know you're not doing that because i'm looking at you right now um well, I want to emphasize, she's not playing long. Like, she's into it. She is full on. Like, she is ready to go on a, like, che to cheat on her boyfriend and uh, schedule a date with Ghostface. I mean, there are a few things to do in Glen Ellen <laughs> other than indulge um, in the whims of prank callers and, you know, hang out alone in your ranch-style house full of windows and glass patio doors. Imagine being the boyfriend. You've been kidnapped. You're tied up. The killer is right there. I assume at this point he has this part on speakerphone. And I, yeah, I know you've got so much worse going on. But then you also have to listen to your girlfriend being like, no, I don't have a boyfriend. Let's flirt some more. R.I.P. Steve. You're telling me if Jeremy called you on the phone and did his ghost face voice, you wouldn't be like, let's go get Brunt. <laughs> It depends on the context, I think. Okay. <laughs> you know? And the voice is Roger L. Jackson. And yes. you know what? I gotta say, I, it's not like they don't have chemistry. I would totally see like, 
if there was a radio play like or podcast story romance story and it was drew barrymore and like the ghost-based voice i'm sorry i already forgot the name you just said um i would i would at least read some reviews and see if it was worth listening to and then maybe give it a shot yeah. I mean, he's, he sounds a bit sleazy to me, but, you know, I do, this there's movie a, is... There's a market for that and you know it. Oh, well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, it's funny because I can't really divorce myself from all of the, uh, the just the zeitgeist of this movie from seeing it so many times. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's... <laughs> the guy on the phone is taunting her um once again yeah, go south she says she's gonna hang up again and uh you know he says if, if she does she'll die uh she says that her her strong boyfriend is going to be over any time it's not and, just a threat there is some really strong uncomfortably real feeling like violent misogyny at play oh, yeah. like there does he say something like i'll gut you like a fucking fish or something yeah yeah he gets <laughs> Ghostface, at his worst, especially in this scene, gets very Freddy Krueger. Like, he, he loves the word bitch. Uh, he really loves to, like, lay into those, like, yelling, uh, abusive stuff at people. Um, when you and- Once you get the full story and you know the killer's origin, though, it's kind of impossible to d- divorce the character from just the most violent forms of misogyny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and so um, we, we do get... Um, we get to meet Steve very briefly. Steve is, we find out the boyfriend, he is tied up outside uh, and Ghostface is threatening to kill him uh, if she can't get these trivia questions right. And uh, he begins asking her some trivia questions uh, and asks her uh, for, for Steve's life, uh, who the killer is in Friday the 13th. Um, and she gets it wrong. Which She says, Jason. And for any Alas. other Friday the 13th movie, that's correct, except not the first one. Yeah. It's in Ghostface's defense, like, come on, that's not a very difficult trivia question. If you're going for the big one, if you, she's like, I've seen it 20 times. It's like, then why did you get it wrong? It's that's panic. Not, these are pretty, like, even if she'd been like, who'd play Jason? It's like, fuck, I don't know. It's like, these are rather easy trivia questions, Ghostface. Who played the victim? <laughs> I'm trivia blaming Drew Barrymore. Maybe she saw the remake. Yeah. Just kidding. I saw the remake. That's the only Friday the 13th movie I've seen. Me too. It's fine. Yeah, so, so Steve gets gutted and uh, now she's playing for her own life. The only thing she has to figure out is which door Ghostface is at, her front door or her patio door. And uh, she, I mean, this is this is definitely a, a trick because... Uh, it, it proceeds with him then chasing her all around the house and then out of the house and finally horribly murdering her within sight of her parents who are, you know, pulling up to um, come back from, from home. Uh, they then find her uh, tied to a tree with her guts all over the place. I felt so bad for okay. those parents. When- Apparently the killer went to uh, the same art school that Hannibal did, though. Right. There's <laughs> during the chase around the house and outside the yard, though, there's a really important moment, I think. And TJ, what you said about this being the thesis statement of the movie, I think this is definitely part of it. There's a moment where Ghostface like sneaks up on her and she just straight up like 
cold clocks him with the yes. phone, like right in the nose. And, <laughs> and Ghostface like goes down, like it hurts him, like it, like he falls over. That. And apparently that was Wes Craven. This poor that guy was getting hit with the phone <laughs> when True Barrymore hit the phone. And compared to the slasher movies of your, like you know, Jason and Michael Myers as these, you know, these unstoppable juggernauts, uh, Freddy Krueger as the super supernatural dream hopping shapeshifter it right away from the onset tells the audience like there is something human about Ghostface. he is not yeah. a supernatural slash creature this is a human being with human capability and it then there's like and there's a lot of this movie of Ghostface getting his ass handed to him and getting completely clowned and it does not make him ineffectual it only reinforces that it is a regular, that it is a human being and just enhances that it could be anyone. I think it's, that we have to ask an important question of us at this point, which is, do we want to go ahead and spoil the reveal of this movie and who the killer is right now? Because I think it's important to this scene and basically every other murder scene after this and how it works. I think we have to. Yeah, we're have in to. the spoiler. We're in the spoiler section. Yeah. We're in the end game, Tony. So the, to be... The, the be... thing about this movie is that there are two killers. And yes. that's why it works, is because Ghostface is a full body costume. You can't tell the difference between people wearing it. Um, and in that way, they these two characters who are both horror aficionados are able to pull off a lot of things that feel like horror movies, where it feels like Ghostface is everywhere, where it feels like he's chasing her and then he's in front of her. And because of this twist. Wes Craven is able to pull off some amazing things in this movie that feel like horror movies where there shouldn't be an explanation for it. It's just that he's too scary. But they they make sense with them just being normal humans once you know there's two of them. Because, you know, one of them is here and one of them is there. One of them pops up from this side and one of them is already behind you. It does add to the, the reality aspect um, and that meta aspect of the film where you know all of the characters are a lot of well most of the characters are really into uh, horror movies so it's separated from the horror movie you know the idea of movie um so you know now we're getting a you know we're getting into the meta but the fact that the um that Ghostface being two killers you know also he's he isn't terribly supernatural and that humanness that Ben talked about makes him less um less supernatural but he still is formidable um also yeah. makes it it explains the uh alacrity of um stringing up drew barrymore um yeah. <laughs> as quickly as they did i think what kevin williamson just does so well and like of course we have to give props to like uh wes craven too and the actors but creating characters that we're rooting for like we see drew, drew barrymore fight back and we're like mm -hmm. rooting for her and she's drew barrymore so obviously we're gonna root for her but she's just fighting so hard and i i think we also see that um with sarah michelle geller and i know what you did last summer like you root for her so hard and you know it's a horror movie so we know what's gonna happen um but it's just and the fact that Ghostface is so human, I think also adds to that, that we're like, oh, maybe she could get away. Maybe she can overpower him. And yeah. then when it actually happens, it's like almost even more devastating than another slasher movie. Yeah, I think the, the thing, the reason that a lot of that works to me is he is 
uh, he is supernatural seeming in that respect, where he is sort of everywhere because there are two of them. But at the same time, you can have that, you can establish, and Wes Craven does this, uh, we'll do this in Red Eye as well, that like you have a character, a female character who can like trade blows with this guy who might, who has a chance, who like this guy is not unkillable. Um, and, you know, you're able to not just have a, uh, you know, a Friday the 13th situation where you have woman after woman after woman who are just mowed down and murdered. Yeah. And I think to this movie's like, again, there being two killers, uh, again, and this movie kind of being a whodunit horror, a mystery, like any whodunit, there's that rewatch value of then all of these scenes having extra meaning and nuance they pick up on. Like, hell, uh, you know, even when they're like, oh, if you pick the right door, you win you know that there's that extra level of psychological cruelty being like, oh, there's two of them. There's one of them at each door. There is no right answer you can pick. To- so do you guys think both of them were there that night in this opening scene? Absolutely. Again, okay. it makes it way easier for two people to tie her up so quickly. Right. It makes yeah. sense. I just wasn't sure because Bill getting ahead a little bit, Billy has his alibi that he was elsewhere, but I guess he could have been there and then just like- I mean, his by. alibi could have been still. I guess extra yeah. spoiler, it's Billy and still. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a certain point in act three where my notes just become Lillard faces and Ulrich got, Ulrich got crazy eyes like over and over again. <laughs> so Matthew good. Lillard eats the scenery yes. voraciously. I do have to say one of my favorite moments, I mean, this whole movie is like my favorite horror moment ever, but <laughs> the part when Drew Barrymore is being dragged and her parents pick up the phone and they just hear her breathing. Oh, that's, it is, yeah. Uh, that's what I mean about the, ex- like the existentially terrifying. Like yeah. I'm not a parent. I can't imagine a more sickening, horrifying. And the scream the mother lets out is just like scream yeah. queen level. That That bit of the movie also was pretty scary like you know it's kind of goofy at the start um but uh yeah like that's once once shit hits the fan um and you see the the emotional impact of the parents it gets actually really upsetting um so this is not yeah. a movie where um you know characters just like die and it's like they exist for our mute die it's we get to see their like their families and loved ones and get to see their reaction yeah most of the time most of the and time. i mean that's the i mean this next scene is the introduction of sydney which sydney is uh, a testament to that in and of her same care her own character which is that her mother is the first victim of of these killers we find out later you know it's it's been a year at this point but we are immediately introduced to her trauma of having her mother having been, uh, she thinks raped and murdered. Uh, I think it's just murdered. Um, Can I ask you guys a question about your interpretation? Cause there's some discourse about, do you think Billy raped her mother and then killed her? Or do you think he just killed her and she had had sex previously? I think I mean, this would be, if this movie came out five years later, it would be incredibly clear because there would be a DNA test. Um, you know, so like the implication is that she had been fooling around with uh, Cotton Weary and that she was then, you know, caught and murdered by, you know, by Billy I, and um, Stu. And I'm I gonna, think that's, I'm definitely much more comfortable with that interpretation. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna going to go with option two. agree with that. 
and I'm going to put on my Malcolm Bright hat of like, oh, I watch Prodigal Son, therefore I can do amateur <laughs> serial killer profiling. Uh, rape is not a part of any of their, like, for all the deaths that we see them commit, rape is never a part of their MO. So it feels like it'd be surprising for that to have been a big part of their first kill and then not a part of their serial killer ritual that they then continued with. Yeah, it's not part of the pattern. Exactly. So I lean towards she was getting that good Schreiber and then... Yeah. So as I said, in this next, the next scene after Drew Barrymore dies, we meet uh, Sydney and Billy. Sydney is played by Nev Campbell. Billy is played by Skeet Ulrich. Uh, I said, hey, we have half the cast of the craft here. Skeet Ulrich, I have to mention, uh, I'm just going to say much more attractive and much more charismatic in this movie than he is in the craft. He's so hot. We talked about how much it felt like he didn't want to be doing the craft. (laughs) He's so clearly so into this movie. Like he is giving it his all. It's how it's shot as well, I think. Like they they managed, they're always shooting Skeet Ulrich with slightly, like slightly from above. So he's like looking up from his eyebrows and he's like smoldering. Um, But yeah, he is also acting. Like he's actually doing his job. He's also Um, very much got that like, that quintessential 90s heartthrob hair. Like, oh, yeah. He's got the Gavin Rosdale going on mm-hmm. and he's actually pulling it off. He is. He pulls um, it off so well. Yeah. I, I call it the, the Sean from Boy Meets World. Um, yeah. Um, not, not Blood and Donuts. I was thinking of Bit. Anyway. Um, yeah. The, the haircut that 10 years later would be adopted by, by lesbians with an undercut um, and would become, you know, important all over again. <laughs> Yes. Well, let's, yeah, well, look, the undercut is a game changer. Let's no. not devalue the undercut. I honestly, I, as somebody who had that haircut without the undercut for several years, I feel like I look back now and I'm like, man, lesbians had it figured out. Like, we just, I was so hot. Like, <laughs> if I had just shaved the sides of my head, I would have been so much less hot all the time. Like, uh, man, I mean, they really changed the game. I don't well, know it, quite how to tell you this, Jeremy, but uh, I gotta say, at least in my point of view, lesbian fashion is the way to go. Yes, this is this is correct. Um, I will say the undercut was really hot in the '90s amongst the metalheads and goths. So you know, I love uh, that when a rewatch you can just like Billy is so obviously creepy and the killer the entire time, but like when you think it's a misdirect the first time you're watching, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Watching it again, I'm like, ugh. I mean, also he is kind of the worst. I mean, he's a lot more charismatic than he was in the craft, but this scene, he like shows up at her window and he's like, oh, you know, I would not deign to uh, cross the underwear line, but I'm still going to like try to while we're in bed. And, you know, I just think our relationship is, it's just edited for TV, which is how I watched the the screen movies for the first, uh, Uh. um, not edited for TV, but, you know, pan and scan rather than letterbox. For I, it's so weird because from the standpoint of being likable to the audience, being the killer is the best thing that like Billy could do. Yeah, like he goes from just like awful, unlikable creep that I don't want to be anywhere near to charismatic psycho that I'm like, give me more. I can't stop watching. <laughs> it literally makes this scene better that he's the yes. killer because. As fucked up as this is, the through line for Sydney in this movie is that 
he convinces her to fuck him by framing himself as being the serial killer he actually is and then making her feel bad about it so that he can fuck her so that he can kill her because she can't he can't kill her until she's had sex yeah like, that's yeah. crazy like i was thinking the whole time watching like oh my first thought was oh he's the killer he wants to fuck her because evil bastard and the thing like wait a minute is it just because he's so into his delusion that he can't kill her uh, so long as she's a virgin i mean i think that that's it but like also the whole setup uh, you know when we go into the film and you know there's the attack and then you know sydney whatever but we'll get there um i didn't feel like it was on purpose to me like i feel like um billy just kind of fucked up because he's a horny teenage boy um i don't know if he was that much of a mastermind but i don't know i mean like now that you think of it like i i mean it didn't so, work that way on the rewatch are you able to kind of tell or figure out or even just head can and like ah oh, this is definitely still look at this fucking dummy this is still in the mask <laughs> i think i mean you can a lot of the time tell who's who just based on where the other one is at the top at the time or like mm-hmm. where they reference they were later in another scene I assume every time that he takes a ridiculous pratfall, it's Stu. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it might have been Stu. You know, I do have, like, seeing the the end scene and how much they, uh, (laughs) like, how, I I don't want to get into it now because it's going to be everything I talk about. But that final scene with the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, seeing their dynamic together. I feel like now I have this whole headcanon where that was a whole fuck up because Stu was jealous of, of Nev Campbell. <laughs> and so Stu was trying to get her and then Billy's like, no, I'll save her. And now she'll feel like, you know, and then she was like, no, no, no. You just dropped a cell phone at my feet. Um, son, what are but you doing a, with that cellular telephone? It's a dummy cell phone, which means his plan was to be framed. And I'm still not sure why exactly. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I think he just fucked up. I think he was definitely trying to seduce her to take her virginity because they wanted her, because in a movie, like, the virgin always lives. Yeah. So, like, like I think that that was his plan. Um, Because he's all weird about that. I guess it's just a level of, like, I'm a crazy violent person and I'm going to use these horror movies as a framework excuse for my violence versus if he's like, oh, this person I want to kill but can't because she hasn't followed the rules. I'm like, okay, now we're into some fucking Riddler territory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I feel like that whole scene where she gets attacked, it will, we'll talk about, we're not there yet. Um, that scene, he, I feel like he shows up to quote unquote save her and then she's like, oh, my hero. And then, then they have sex. Like, I feel like that was his angle, but it was just so close. He didn't expect her, and it may be part of his like internalized misogyny as well, that he just didn't expect her to like immediately finger him, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if she hadn't slept with him... I do think he still would have killed her uh, just because. Oh, at the end, yeah. Him, but. Yeah. I mean, that sh- that shit was going nuts. Um, what does that say about Billy's mindset that he's using, like, I mean, look, there's nothing good about Billy's mindset any part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Just been like, <laughs> hey, you know what really gets a girl in a romantic mood? Violent trauma. I mean, if anybody who sees a horror movie and with how much, like, sex or is in horror movies um, in the middle of crazy fucked up shit happening um maybe mm. that's what he thinks would happen billy thought the dumbass gas was gonna hit any minute now <laughs> can we talk about the iconic don't fear the reaper cover that plays when they make out uh, yes uh. a beautiful song 
over a scene that is not beautiful in or romantic <laughs> in any way. I love it. It's, it's I, yes, correct. It feels like I never saw Corpse Pride, but I feel like there should have been the theme song of Corpse Pride if Corpse Pride is just super romantic about dead people. <laughs> like this is just like I'm like this is a beautiful song. And I feel so squicky bad watching this. Yeah, watching Skeet Ulrich being super gross. And then and Nev Campbell's so cute. She looks so, she's so, I love Nev Campbell. And oh yeah, and she has an Indigo Girls, co- Indigo Girls poster. Which again, with her not wanting to sleep with Skeet and the Indigo Girls poster, we're not saying, we're just saying. Yeah. There is a glee line where Santana's like, I, I don't know if I'm ready to come out. I, I, I just can't go to an Indigo Girls concert. <laughs> she not only is going to, she has a, the fucking poster in her room. Yeah. I mean, 10 years from now, she's going to have that haircut and be wearing like the same outfit that Billy's wearing. So, you know. Oh, Sydney gets Plus, butch in the oh, second movie. Oh, she looks and she's going to look amazing in it. Uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and jump on to the, the next scene, um, which is uh, we, we get to the school there is a media circus outside and we get to meet Principal Henry Winkler. Y'all, Henry that... Winkler in this movie great because he's either being a red herring for the killer or he's being an early version of the deity. <laughs> but also we get uh, Gail Courtney Cox, who is the uh, news reporter, and uh, Kenny, her cameraman, who are covering the school murder. And we learn are also yeah. uh, have a history of covering murders around here and have a lot to do with the brutal rape and murder case of, uh, of Sydney's own mother and are convinced that Sydney testified against the wrong guy, uh, Cotton Weary, who they don't think is at all responsible for her death, but is in jail for her death, uh, who is played for the fraction of a second that he's on screen by Leah Schreiber. It's on a TV yeah. screen within the movie. Y'all, Gail. What she's wearing in these first few is the brightest yellow-green dress I've ever seen. She, so looks good. Like, she looks like a walking highlighter, and I was so <laughs> distracted that it legitimately took until the scene where Sydney punches her for me to go, wait, is that Courtney Cox? <laughs> I have to tell you, she's wearing another bright suit in the new movie coming out, and I'm stoked for it. Uh, is this the scene where we get the fat tub of lard ass line? Yes. That's a bit later, oh, but okay. yeah. Because we get Love the scene it. with the kids at the on the quad yeah. um, before, you know, she, but she's like, Kenny deserves better. But Poor Kenny. I know. It, these, kids, oh, these kids all hanging out, none of them act like friends. They, they are like fucking friends. ghouls. Sydney like the and- boys in her group especially are fucking ghouls. I don't know how she doesn't know that they're murderers. I mean, Jamie Kennedy seems like he's probably a murderer too. In this. Why is Jamie Kennedy hanging out with any of these people? He is clearly friends with none of them. Like Tatum and Sydney are friends. That's it. Everyone else is like barely holding in seething resentment for each other. Yeah, so we meet the rest of the we meet the rest of the group here. They've all been interviewed by the principal and by the police, uh, including uh, Deputy Dewey, who is played by David Arquette, who's who is Tatum's guys. Guys, we found a cop who's not a bastard. <laughs> he's still shitty though. He's not he's good at his technically, job. Technically, he's, not a, he's a sheriff, but. He's adorable and I, I want to give him a hug. Yeah, so... so is the theory that Dewey was, like, in on it? 
that's a big theory. Dude's so got a again, real Mayberry that's, thing going on. That's the big plot twist of Scary Movie is yeah, that okay. the Stu and Billy analogs were just copycats using that as an excuse to go after like Sydney and Tatum analog. And then Dewey was behind like all the other killings. Like, so I honestly was like, again, so that was like a big twist is like, you know, as far as big twist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so but it's the kind of thing where I didn't know what from that movie I could trust to carry over to Scream and what was Scream. So the, the important other characters we meet here are Tatum, who is played by Rose McGowan, who's Sydney's best friend, and uh, Dewey's sister, and also just very killable. She seems very killable from the <gasps> I outset. I love her. Soup's killable. Yeah. Um, I love Tatum. I'm she has some great she, lines. I'm surprised she didn't have like, hey, I just had a bunch of sex with my boyfriend, and here's a drawing of the family I'll have, and then I'm going to go to war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we also meet uh, Stu, who's played by Matthew Lillard, who I guess is Tatum's boyfriend, but is really Billy's boyfriend. Um <laughs> which will become increasingly clear throughout this movie, but uh, the, the two of them are very close. Um, and we also meet Randy, who is not nearly as close to anybody in this group, who just seems like the guy that they let hang around. I don't know if maybe they get free rentals from it him at the, the, the video store. Oh, yeah. I but, definitely uh, want to know the story of how Randy got fired twice and went his way back into his job. <laughs> Probably yelling about serial killers in the middle. I worked at Blockbuster for years. That seems like a real story to me. I <laughs> so I worked at a video store with VHSs in 20 fucking 10. See, but that's like now a niche thing. Like that's like working a coffee shop. I feel like that, this was combination video store comic book shop. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so this is not like your blockbuster, your Hollywood. This is something that's a little bit more like niche specific. People this in the was- fandom, sorry. People this in the it. fandom love Randy, and like I get it because he's kind of like, oh, this is you if you're a nerdy teen boy, you can relate <laughs> to him. But like, I don't. People just love him, and I'm like, I don't I get it. Don't. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't get the Randy love. Like, this is a great cast, and I don't think he does a bad job by any. But if there's any part of the main cast that doesn't do as good a job as the rest it is yeah. jamie kennedy i feel like all the straight dudes that watched it that were in high school liked randy and all the gay ones and the women liked like tatum and sydney let's be honest yeah. the biggest quality jamie kennedy country movie is his first name being jamie so when he's yelling at jamie lee curtis yes. it's also that he's talking to himself in the movie for an extra level of meta-ness yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that Jamie Kennedy does anything particularly wrong or less good than everybody else in this movie. I just think his character is a, a little like paper thin. He's not that interesting. His it, thing is being sort of the audience cipher. So yeah, I think it's just uh, like I can't just to present imagine, the rules. I can't right. imagine anyone but Matthew Lillard giving that kind of performance, or like I can't imagine anyone but Nev Campbell giving that kind of performance. I can see other people giving as good or better a performance. Ben, can I tell you, do you know Hayden Panettiere? Yes. She does that for Scream 4 and it's amazing. I love that. Nice. Okay, so the the thing about this scene, one, apparently I also hung out with serial killers because the people I knew, some of the people I knew in high school were also ghouls like this to each other, but they were- Teens are monsters. Yeah, I mean, look, I knew people who liked Marilyn Manson in the 90s 
what can I say? I mean, I like I mean, the fact that they're all actively joking about one, the murders of their classmates, and two, the brutal rape and murder of Sydney's own mother <laughs> seems the, like the, a little yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite that bad. I'll, they're I'll every as we find out, not even them, like everyone in the school is a monster. This is a school exclusively for sociopaths. I mean, it's, I feel like it's accurate though. Like, yeah. kids in my high school were evil. No, kids, like, I mean, especially in the, like, the super goth, like, death rock groups I was hanging out with, everybody was edgy to the max. Like, it was not cool to be wholesome. Um, I do not want, if I was 18 and something like this happened in my high school, I do not want to know what 18-year-old in response to that. It would have been bad. I mean, it, it, it may have actually in the long run been good, but I mean, it was, it's like the shit that we said. I mean, thinking about the, the stuff in the craft about like the suicidal ideation, you know, are you one of those uh, self-harming people, you know, like <laughs> this kind of shit people said was fucking off the rocker. But here's the thing. Ginger Snaps has now completely realigned my bar for like suicidal ideation. So unfortunately, like... I feel like even if a character commits suicide in a movie, I'll be like, well, yeah, but it's not like it was as pro-suicide as Ginger Snaps. God. Um, we're, we're, this is, we're, we're a bad influence on you, Ben. Um, anyway. Uh, so this, this next scene with Sydney is, um, I feel like I don't even know why it's there other than to like establish that what, what's going on. She's watching TV because because oh. it's the 90s, uh, the same thing is on every channel. I, lo- and I love this scene because she's just flicking through and it's like at least five channels dedicated entirely to local news. Yeah, there's no like Disney afternoon. There's no Pokemon. Like, I mean, this is after school programming block. Like, I know Google and Facebook fucking decimated local advertising, like local journalism. But I don't think at any point there was five 24-hour news stations. Yeah, locally. <laughs> local news. And she keeps really... going to them like, fucking go to Nickelodeon or MTV. Watch some she Ren and cable. Stimpy. Sydney, watch some Ren and Stimpy. She lives in like Calistoga Road. I mean, you don't really get, you know, you might not get cable. They probably, considering those houses, they probably get cable. But I really wanted to talk actually about the scene, the previous scene with everybody, all these ghoulish children talking to each other because all these of children in their mid twi- in their mid to late 20s the ghoulish quote unquote 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 quote, 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 children teenagers played by like 25 year old people um this this bit is important because of the misogyny of these characters presented it's it's important about talking about the um the the horror movie meta because they say that a woman can't do this. A woman can't gut somebody. Um, and, you know, true crime lovers, as many of us are, know that that's not true. You know, um, a lot of women gut people and shoot and whatever. Um, but uh, the they were talking about basic instinct and they were talking about like combining, you know, or like comparing contrasting ways that things were, th- things were done, ice pick versus knife, you know, et cetera. Um, it was a very very kind of naive youth way of looking at it um but it is the uh perpetuated in a lot of these horror movies the you know very very rarely if not like never is the slasher not the supernatural whatever the slasher a woman and the the uh the victims are usually women 
Uh, so, I will tell you, if you keep watching the movies, you might get a female killer. Nice. Well, and that Yay, for equal important. opportunity murder! Yeah, but that becomes important later in this movie, too. So, um, I two things. There's a moment in that scene, I like that you're like cutting someone, where Tatum asks, how do you get someone? How do you, she said, how do you even get someone? And I have my notes, with a knife, Tatum. <laughs> well, I mean... But, again, we talk about, sorry, we talk about the twist, you know, realigning scenes, to me, like, watching it this first time, I'm just like, this is run-of-the-mill misogyny. Now, knowing that they're the killers, it's clear that, like, especially given how deep misogyny runs in Billy and Stu's motive for murder, to give credit for a woman for their crimes, like, I can see now how, like, it's a complete, they would take it as a complete and direct attack on their masculinity. Yeah, it's, it's not just so misogyny, pride. it's pride. Like, yes, it's pride in their job well done. So um, now we're, okay. So then we skip to Sid. She's at her yeah, house. Yeah, she hangs out in her house, falls asleep, waiting for Tatum, who she's supposed to be staying with for the weekend. Uh, she wakes up when she gets a call from the, uh, from the killer. Um, yeah, so the, the killer... Starts, you know, trying to do the whole game thing with with Sydney. Uh, she, the killer, attacks her. The first thing she does is go upstairs, which they've just been making fun of girls going upstairs instead of running outside when they're being attacked by a serial killer. Um, and she she locks herself in there and starts uh, trying to make calls. And then uh, she's she's saved when uh, Billy comes through the window to interrupt this killing. Go ahead. I love that she locks herself in by using the other door in her room to prop the other door. It's like such a little detail that's like, yeah, this is her home. And like, she's lived here. She knows how to defend herself Well, we see that. Like we get that set up when her dad used early on and like that door just happens to be. So then it's like, ah, payoff. And this is also the scene that is taken, the, the dialogue in the scene uh, where the voice on the phone asks her, you know, do you like scary movies? And she's like, no. And he, why not? Well, it always involves some um, big-breasted woman running away from a slasher, blah, blah, blah. And this bit of dialogue was used in the ads. And um, it, this ad, they, they played this ad. There was a bunch of stuff that was in the ads that I remember as well. But this bit of dialogue was also juxtaposed with the scenes that this these tropes were shown in the movie. So when she says big breasted woman, they cut to Rose McGowan opening the door to the garage, <laughs> you know, <laughs> running upstairs. They cut to her running up the stairs like they they cut this this whole ad for the movie to this bit of dialogue. And it was pretty, That's pretty great. Yeah, they did like my girl that. Tatum dirty is what you're telling me. <laughs> oh, they sure did um and rose mcgowan like you know she's i love the shit out of rose mcgowan as well um and uh you know for a while she was typecast but um anyway the that bit um also much like randy has a lot to do with the sort of thesis of this movie um and also nev campbell i'm gonna say throughout this movie uh exemplifies very good self-defense she kicks um she a few few flips in there yeah she does she lets people like you know flip over her she's actually like i feel like she's taken some self-defense classes i mean 
I don't feel like she put in the training that she would need in order to roundhouse kick a dog. I don't think she, <laughs> I would rather not see her roundhouse kick a zombie dog. Zombie dog, zombie or not. TJ, that is a, res- that is a re- reference to our Resident Evil episode. <laughs> uh, one day I will watch that. Yeah. I... Don't worry about it. Don't, don't be show. in any rush. So, okay. I mean, you'll definitely listen to our episode when it comes out because it's going to be great. Don't be in any rush to watch the movie. <laughs> Maybe if you've got a, if you've got some alcohol handy and you know somebody that'll be fun to make fun of it with, that's a, a great movie for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, she's she runs from the guy, uh, blocks herself into the room. Billy comes in to to save the day. He's you know there to to save her, and then a cellular phone falls out of his pocket. Gasp! A cellular phone. Uh, Son, what are who you doing has with that a cellular phone? phone? It must mean that he's the one making the call to you know to get her um and so when the cops arrive he she turns uh she turns billy over to them convinced that he's the killer uh also gail shows up to uh to jump this ambulance and uh go ahead and uh screw with sydney some more and uh sydney just straight up lays gail out which is like a fantastic scene in here oh it's so good she like she literally punches gail in the face Bam, bitch went down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where I had in my also, note, Courtney Cox. Yeah, that's where that's where I I'm convinced that uh, Sid has taken like self defense classes because um, she can throw a punch. Um, also, apparently, Courtney Cox did not get this role the first couple times she auditioned to, for it and kept fighting them on it because she really wanted to play this character that she thought was unlikable and a bitch because she was so used to being like the likable character and everything thanks to friends. So she was like, I just really, I just really need this part of this wholly unlikable newscaster. She's character. a bitch, but she's so likable. And yes. also, I can't think of, you know, for as much as this movie is about the genre of the slasher i feel like gale especially is an element i've never seen in any other slasher i've i've seen some gales before but they always die like she's she the fact that she survives and she's also like an awesome character with agency um you know i i don't think she's like a, i mean she's a cool she's a good character um gale is a huge bitch i love that courtney crocs i didn't know that about courtney cox that she just wanted to be this asshole because she's like she seems like the worst and you you do she does grow on you through the movie um especially because the movie tries so hard to to telegraph that she's a bitch then i'm like no i'm not gonna think she's a bitch movie because gail is a woman with ambition and they like they don't penalize her for that you're like you still root for her yeah yeah unapologetic ambition like there's one boy where it's like an innocent man on death row a serial killer on the list (laughs) do you know what this will do for my career I love it. <laughs> my book sales. I think yeah, yeah, her book sales. I think she has one where, like, have they ever given a crass tabloid journalist the Pulitzer? First time for everything. Yeah, she she treats Kenny horribly, which is the the unlikable part. But otherwise, you know, she's she's kind of like the Freddie Lowndes um, from Hannibal, who is awful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, do you guys think this was Billy dressed up as Ghostface? Or do you think Stu was also there? I think, I think Stu it was, was Stu. was dressed up well, so? with Ghostface, and I think Billy was making yeah. the call. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but I think the key is, when is it both of them with one on the other shoulders? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I think that was going to be part of the plan later. They were going to do like a master That's when they do super mega forearm giant ghost face. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be the first time Stu sat on Billy's face. Come on. So do you think Stu's the, or not Stu, you think Billy's the power bottom? If you listen to final thems, they talk about how Billy is a fake top. I love that. Yeah, they, like, they... They really nailed it with Billy is a fake abusive top and Stu is just playing a bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, and, Billy's and, bottom. Come and on. they really nailed Tatum having some real Brad energy. Oh, Tate. Okay. Tatum. I love the shit out of Tatum as well. Um, also because like whenever this movie tells me that somebody sh- is bitchy, then I'm like, no, except for the dudes, the dudes I'm like, oh yeah, no, they're all the worst except for Dewey sort of and Randy sort of. Yeah, Not I mean, just speaking Dewey. of Dewey, this is Mostly Dewey comes Dewey. back in at this point, and uh, Sydney uh, goes goes to stay with Tatum and Dewey at their house. He gets, you know, they get kind of an escort from Dewey, who is showing her the whole house, even though she's been to this house. Tatum's her best friend. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's really taking this uh, sheriff stuff seriously, um, and they, she does then get a call from Ghostface at their house, thus proving that it's not Billy. And getting him off, um, you know, even though he was at the scene of the crime and she <laughs> accused him. So now, now he's uh, made himself look like the victim of her. So we find out later that Billy used his one phone call to call her. But I'm like, why didn't Stu just call her? Right. He could have used his phone call for something else. But she does. She guesses that that might be the case. But then like, that's before that she before she knows that like there's two of them because that's that's while they're still like in bed before he gets murdered yeah um, gets quote unquote <laughs> murdered um yeah so tatum the the <laughs> getting the call at tatum's house you know uh sid's freaking out and then they're calling for dewey and dewey runs in in his underwear with his gun um bless also God. i he- <laughs> When, he, when they're when they get off the phone, Dewey picks up the phone, and that's like the end of the scene where he picks up the phone. And he's like, "Hello," <laughs> like um, trying to to sound badass. And I know that that might lend itself to the theory that Dewey was in on it, but I don't. I don't think Dewey has two brain cells in his head that he can no. rub together. I'm still trying to think like, well, why exactly did Billy fake his own death at the end? Other than it's a great twist for the movie. But the problem is Billy's whole deal is that he's trying to be in a horror movie. So it's a great twist for a movie is all the fucking motivation he needs. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that actually really works well in this movie. Um, as like the all of the like crime solving shit and like the, the actual logistical shit that happens in this first couple acts of the movie make a zero sense how they work um and i have this note like you this is how you know the movies for teens because nothing works the way it's supposed to but um you know that that's not what matters because this movie fucking pulls it together in a way that you do not anticipate especially after seeing like all of the parodies you know there's yeah i'll tell you at least for me having gone into this like this is my first time i have a vague idea who again i had like four people that i thought like the killers might be based off my half-remembered scary movie viewing from, ooh, probably 18 years ago now. Um, fuck, <laughs> I'm old. Shit. Uh, oh, shut up. Right. Uh, I'm 38. <laughs> like, I, there was a moment where before, like, the reveals happened, 
that I figured out Lillard was a killer, but I thought he was the killer. And especially like Billy's fake death, absolutely like I bought into. So I it was that was totally a whoa moment. So I I, yeah. I got I got one out of the two. Yeah, I mean Billy's fake death is is a twist, which is something he's invested in, but it also puts him in the right place to, you know, set everything up at the end. Like, you yeah, know, he, can, he can be inside and not be a threat to them while clearly Ghostface is outside. Yeah. And that Ghostface outfit is cheap enough that you could just throw it on. Yeah. And oh, clearly and so it's that... cheap enough that everybody at the school buys one for the next scene. I mean, that feels, that feels like a really important part of the franchise. And even an element in the end when uh, the tape, when Sydney is able to turn the tables, is this is a costume that, as they say, is available at any Halloween pop-up store, uh, and all you have to do is put it on, and you're the ghost face killer now. Yeah. Now the second school day filmed not inside because it was mostly these are inside shots. This one's filmed at the San- uh, Sonoma Community Center, where Brett recently, well, two years ago now. <laughs> taught classes in printmaking so put that on your map for uh did he uh, while he was there tell anybody there that they should get over the horrible tragic death of their mother no he didn't because that sure is what uh what our what our boy does coming back from jail he comes back from jail and is like can't believe you thought i was the killer you know what you should really get over the fact that your mom was brutally raped and murdered again god not not knowing the twist is the chippiest of chip things knowing the twist is downright horrifying and so emotionally abusive oh my god i mean even even like without him being the killer and all the shit that he did before this where he's like I just, I guess I'll settle for a PG-13 relationship. Um, all of the pressure that he puts on her to put out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then this shit is just like, I wanted to punch him so bad. <laughs> it's almost better that he's a serial killer rather than like just a sexual harasser. Yeah, th- <laughs> than just a chip. Yeah. Like, chip was just shitty. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, this is just shitty, but if you're going to be a serial killer, well, fuck, then now you've got style. Yeah. <laughs> Pizzazz! It's okay, because he's, you know, he's going out with Matthew Lillard. Yeah, so. if, you were, if you were a sexual harasser, you wouldn't need to be in this movie. You could just produce it. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, Principal Fonz and his giant scissors are expelling people from school because uh, they are running around in, in ghost face killer masks after uh, two of his students have been murdered and one nearly murdered by this guy, which is, I'm, I'm going to take a stand, the right thing to do. It's um, a great yeah. scene. Winkler is fantastic when he threatens them. And it gives us another, like, a brief lift, but another absolute, like, red herring in whodunit. Like, he is definitely a potential ghost. Yeah. Um, so that, that will not last very long, because first... I mean, she is, uh, Sydney is chased around by, you know, a ghost face killer who shows up in the bathroom, um, who is just sitting in the stall whispering, I guess, for a while. Um, there's also the uh, evil, uh, evil cheerleaders who are hanging around there just talking about how Sydney made the whole thing up. I would love to see that cheerleader actress come back in Dream 5, having started like this universe's version of My Favorite Murder. Right? We're at the point where. Uh, where our principal is murdered Uh, but before that he looks out in the hallway and the only person around is the janitor who is Wes Craven in his best Freddy sweater that is 
amazing. And hat. Wes Craven going full Freddy Krueger cosplay for the split second cameo was delightful. Was his name Fred? Fred the it janitor? Was. Yes. It was. It was Fred the janitor. Fred the janitor. It was, yeah, Wes Craven dressed full on as, as Freddy Krueger. And they... Bless you, Wes. From here, we get a couple of short scenes outside of uh, the group of them getting ready or discussing going to the party tonight. Uh, they they talk, you know, uh, Sid into coming to the party, which I guess is it is it at Stu's house? I was trying to it is yes. Stu's yeah. house. Stu's house. Okay. And it's going to be in, in the new movie. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if it was Stu's or Randy's, but Wikipedia said Stu's. Yeah, Are they filming the new movie? Yeah, it's all already. Yeah, because they do ask Randy in the next scene, which is at his job, whether or not he's coming this to the party. Um, and this is where Randy gives store. his very is, yeah. This is the video store scene, and this is where Randy really defines who his character is. In this. this video store is the Bradley Video. May it rest in peace on Marlowe Avenue, where Brett first rented Project Echo. Oh, Bradley this? Video was one of the uh, Sonoma County uh, chains of movie rental places. Now, if I could have picked a movie rental place to film a movie, I probably would have picked Video Droid because that one was cooler, but the layout was less like quintessential as Ben, you, you brought up quintessential video store, less windows in a Video Droid. They were more cave-like, but um, yeah, not, Bradley, yeah. yeah, the Bradley video, like seeing that, you know, I could smell the carpet cleaner and stale popcorn. We had one uh, right across from the university here in Runner Park. Um, and I, oh boy, how many, how many animes did I rent from there? <laughs> Not just animes, but lots of animes. That video store transported me. That was the purest fucking heroin grade 90s nostalgia I've ever seen. I was, like you said... I was there. I was smelling the the candy in the plastic and the videos and the carpet cleaner. The the fucking third eye blind is vaguely playing in my ears. <laughs> like that was such a oasis of just. I feel like if I could like whatever the fifties diner was, that's like the nineties video store. Yeah, Bradley Video was was not a Hollywood or not a blockbuster, so it had a little bit of flavor. Guys, can um, we kickstart to buy the Blockbuster license and restart it as a pure 90s nostalgia experience pop-up store? I feel I like that would happened. be successful. Yeah. There's a meme that came out of this scene where Billy and Sue just have Randy like between them and they're like ogling him. And <laughs> it's like two gays looking for a third. They are full <laughs> sandwiching him. This is an absolute double team. The, are yeah. they Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman? Because it's a double team. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen double team starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman do. It's fantastic, by which I mean terrible, but bonkers. I think I may have rented that at the Bradley video. I love it's that a- Randy is like shit-talking Billy to Stu, and little does he know <laughs> Stu is like in on it. It's so funny. Is, well, isn't there at one point where Stu is just like, playing with randy's ear yes, yes. Stu is very touchy in this movie like ooh. he's like ooh, and like just kind of putting his chin on people and stuff and like just being very very flirtatious with every well actually he's more flirtatious with the dudes than he is with the with the ladies in the movie i he mean Bruce I, McGowan at one point but 
this is still i feel like especially is a it's like there's a lot of homoeroticism regarding Stu and billy in this movie apparently yeah. apparently this this scene interests me because apparently jamie kennedy got the part because he ad-libbed a lot of stuff and wes craven thought he was hilarious um <laughs> And I no, can only actually... assume that like he's ad-libbing shit in here and Matthew Lillard is like, let's fucking go. Let's go. I'm going to fuck with you the whole time. Like, I'm going to mess with your ear. I I'm gonna wonder how the much footage they have is just Jamie Kennedy ad-libbing to the faces Matthew making in the scene because they are, this is like Jim Carrey with the mask on, but it's just fucking Matthew Lillard being <laughs> Matthew Lillard. That's, oh, that's the brilliance of Matthew Lillard. Yes. Our next scene is Dewey and the Sheriff. This scene is just here to deliver red herrings and exposition, uh, so which is they're like, hey, uh, yeah, it turns out that those calls to the phones did actually come from Sydney's dad, who's supposedly been out of town, but has never checked into his hotel. Definitely, he's the guy killing people. And that's been you a running look out for him. That's been a running element throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we get the red herring of the dad. It is the most forgettable that? running element of this movie because I keep forgetting <laughs> that it's a thing until like they're like, oh yeah, it's yeah. definitely a dad because it's clearly like it's clearly not the dad. This might be me looking too hard for red herrings, but between the sheriff being so like, oh yeah, we found who did it, and I sorry, and maybe it's just because when the killer comes out of the bathroom, there's a close up on his boots. And then this scene, there's also a close-up on the sheriff's boots. Yeah. And I thought they looked similar. So I'm like, oh, maybe it's the sheriff. Maybe the sheriff's the ghost face. And also, I really just wanted strawberry ice cream because David Arquette made that shit look delicious. Well, there was a synchronized, like, ice cream cone lick from David Arquette and then uh, the sheriff's, like, cigarette. Like, they both, like, the sheriff took a took a drag on the cigarette while David Arquette was like, ooh, lick ice cream. Ooh. That must have been David Arquette's favorite day of filming. Oh, my God. He's so adorable. What did you guys think of the Dewey and Gale subplot? Because when they first start flirting and she's like, you look like you're 12. And gross. the flirting there was a little weird to me. But that is I gross. Like, like, I feel like she's, I feel like it was this fun little romance. I feel like she started out being like, I'm going to use him for information. And then she's like, shit, right. I actually really like him. He's really nice. Like by the end, I'm like, this is sweet. I'm in, I ship it. I they got married in it. real life after this. They oh, did. Unfortunately, right. oh my god, they got divorced like right after Scream Four. Unfortunately, oh. did not work out as well as uh, the old Freddie Prinze and Sarah Michelle Gellar. So, am I the only person that uh, thinks maybe maybe this is a prequel to Cougar Town? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Was Nev Campbell ever in Cougar Town? I no, feel like Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell should have been in Cougar Town. I mean, if Danny Pudi can be in Cougar Town, then Nev Campbell should have had a guest spot. Sure, you know, I think like good for Courtney Cox, but uh, Gail, I, I I really feel that Gail and um, Deputy Dewey is not a balanced relationship by any means because Deputy Dewey is like twenty five going on nine. <laughs> um. And then she's like, hey, hey, little boy. And it's just not great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she's definitely using him. And I think that she's just a sort of like, eh, okay. Eh, you know, which is also like, yeah, okay. You know, if he wasn't 
like if he did have more than two brain cells to rub together i would be like yeah go gail take your man and then no but himbo, um, discourse power hour is deputy dewey a himbo oh yeah. Uh, yeah 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 oh uh, yeah, yeah. He's not cute yes. enough to be a himbo, though. Like, he's not what? I, I feel like there's a cuteness factor that you need to be a himbo successfully, and I, I don't know that Dewey matches it. He's adorable. Yeah, he's like, pretty yeah. cute. That not like he picks not up sexual, the phone, though. Not like in, in an attractive way, but in like <laughs> a cute stuffed animal way. He's yeah. cute, but not in an attractive way. <laughs> yeah, he's cute, yeah. but in a way I want to like pinch his cheeks and be like oh you've grown so much yeah I like let, that's <laughs> let me feed you pasta he's a he's a him billy yeah oh that's good Ooh. Ooh. Um, um, okay so that scene yeah that scene's just there to to put us on the trail of the dad who was also clearly not the killer um but Fieldsburg. the movie really wants everybody to believe that he is the killer um dad had enough screen time to be the killer yeah, yeah. um uh, I mean, that's so one of the brilliant we, things of this movie is that we're so used to, here's a group of teens and there's a killer after them. And this is, here's a group of teens. The killer is one of them. Yeah. yeah. Or is it one parentheses or more of them? Yeah. So now we get to the party, which is somehow the majority of the movie is this one scene of the party. Um Apparently, this was an extremely long shoot, something like 40 days, uh, all spent at this this one location to do the party. Um, apparently, all the crew have commemorative t-shirts about how long this shoot was at the house. Because um, we get all the major characters in one place. Gail shows up with her camera and puts it inside uh, so that they can snoop. Um, and we establish that there is a 30-second tape delay from the camera, which is just like... If you've Insane. seen enough scary movies, you're like, oh, okay, now we're setting a thing up. Like, that okay. might be important. <laughs> yeah. I'm really mad because this is the scene, this is the location that I saw the signs for. If I had, uh, of course, I was I was very young. I was not driving at the time. So my folks were driving. So, But if, if we had like diverted from our usual course, like maybe, you know, one quarter of a mile, we would have met Matthew Lillard. Oh my gosh. Apparently a few years back, um, I forget who orchestrated this, but there was like a gathering at the at Stu's house in real life. And like all these Scream fans watched the movie projected onto the side of the house and it looked really fun. Well, you gotta let me know. You know, you're you're on top, you're the screen aficionado screen, scream aficionado. <laughs> so we living in New York means sometimes you walk through Washington Square Park and everything is the nineteen fifties for some reason. Right? And then right. eight months later you're watching Marvelous Mrs. Mason, you're like, Oh, so that's what that was about. I assume all these the signs you're seeing must be signs that are like, just please stop calling the cops. Like it's just a movie. <laughs> Please stop. Right. Well, we saw th- that there is some guy in a we mask. We saw the dollies and everything. Field. And they had to have been there filming just recently. They had to. <sighs> well, I mean, I haven't been out of my house. <laughs> right. Like, fuck. Um, but yeah, like we saw the trailers and we saw everything from the road and we're like, oh, I don't watch a movie. And anyway, so RIP me. Um, anyway, so we're now at this is this scene is masterful. It is like, Jeremy, you've talked about third act syndrome. This is like reverse third act syndrome where like, you know, this makes the movie. 
you know yeah. everything before this gives us the context to make all of this work as well as it does um but yeah this is like you know you can really get invested in this bit this is yeah. this this is what takes a movie that was already an A and makes it an A plus. Yeah. So I mean we get everybody headed in different directions. We find out about the tape delay. So uh uh Kenny who's in the van can see what's going on inside. Um people start separating. Gail and Dewey go off to go find this abandoned car that they've heard about down the road, um, which you know turns out to be the, the dad's car, another red herring on that one. Um, we have uh, Tatum is the first one to go because Tatum goes to go get drinks from the garage. And um, I really appreciate as, as much as the, there's some, some kind of wonky stuff in here. I do appreciate Rose McGowan's performance here of the, Oh, did, am I supposed to play the victim now? Am I supposed to like scream yeah. and run around? This, I want to be in the sequel, Mr. Ghostface. This yeah. Construction <laughs> of the, supporting character death while still doing the supporting character death just works so great yeah i love when she's throwing the beer bottles at him yeah it's a way of having its cake and eating it too in a way that works better than some other horror movie deconstructions yeah, i can we'll, think we'll of get to a way that it specifically does the exact same thing that they do in that other horror movie that we talked about with dj before hey uh, now but they, they <laughs> don't do you, the you thing that they get... do in that movie tj you're the yeah. one who picked two horror deconstructions at a certain point you knew this was i know movie. i'm sensing a trend with myself yeah uh, so um we we start getting the conversations uh so we end up with you know her running into or sydney running into billy in the house and they go upstairs to have some you know alone time uh we get the conversation about uh that this is real life this isn't a movie uh and he said and billy says sure it is it's all one great big movie you can't choose your genre um meanwhile Tatum is getting murdered. Does anyone do that feel like their whole life is like a big movie or like a show? Yes. Sometimes, but that's usually when my anxiety is talking because I'm like, things are going too good. This is where uh, record scratch happens. (laughs) (laughs) I always imagine things as like a Parks and Rec or The Office type sitcom. That works. I have to derail this for a second just to say that the fake Rose McGowan that gets killed in the garage door is so bad. Oh, yeah. I feel like for the most part, when she's going up, they do fine. The way and then the, her, the version it, of her that Sydney will find later is too much. So yeah. it is her going up. So a fun fact about the production on is Rose McGowan in real life had absolutely no problem getting through that like that door in the garage. So obviously, it's really clear. So they had to. Yeah, she so they gets had, the largest part of her through that door. So <laughs> they had to staple her shirt to the side of the door to keep her in place. <laughs> I heard someone got the dummy. Like they sold, like they auctioned it off and like someone owns that dummy. <laughs> I hope it's in like just the most horrific condition, like the TMNT three live action Leonardo costume from like oh. everyone's nightmares. Oh God. Don't... <laughs> um, yeah. So she, yeah. Tatum gets killed trying to crawl through the doggy door in the garage. Um, and they, they put up the garage door and she gets crushed. This must be the nineties. In the nineties, garage doors must have been much more high quality because my garage door yeah. never pulled this the, off. 
I feel like ready or not, and as you know, as we do episodes, I'm noticing trends with of deaths. And this is our third person stuck in thing going inevitably up. We had it with the dumbwaiter and ready or not, the elevator in Resident Evil, and now the garage and scream. This garage yep. is easily the least powerful of these three <laughs> devices. Yes. So. I feel like the garage should just kind of get stuck on her and not be strong enough to crush her and just be like, and she should just be kind of hanging there and be like, it's something we could pick her up. It should just end with ow? her going, ow. <laughs> and then and then Ghostface walks over and stabs her or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem is that, yeah, just Ghostface. Yeah. Um, so w- we then get this followed up. Um, you know, they're having the, they're simultaneously having the sexy scene between Sydney and Billy upstairs when uh, she has finally decided that uh, she is, is going to, uh, going to have sex with him. Uh, but is this when well, we, is this intercut with that iconic the rules scene? Yes. Uh, intercut first with Randy talking about the obligatory, obligatory tit shot, which they specifically do not do in this movie. They pan behind Billy as she is taking off her bra so you don't see anything, uh, which is something that Joss Whedon later did not do. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like recently me. shit talked Joss Whedon for like two hours. So. Though, yeah. You did? I did. Aw, TJ, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> based off what we, you know, so I wasn't thinking, so I was not thinking about that, but based off what you're saying about the behind the scenes and the ratings, I wonder how much of that was Wes Craven being, we don't need that, it's, it's crass, the movie doesn't need it, and how much of it was, we have to do everything we can to get this movie and not NC-17. Well, assuming all the issues, apparently all the issues with the rating were blood and gore related. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that was ever a, a thing because it is very oh. specifically filmed in a way that like yeah. it pans behind. In that case, fucking good on you, Wes Craven. Yeah, yeah. fucking yeah. great. Yeah, which I mean, I feel like there's not a lot of that in Wes Craven horror movies generally. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is not a particularly uh, nudity heavy well, theory. I feel like Johnny Depp went to, had to have gone to us, right? <laughs> there you I go. Mean, Brigatory titshot. Yeah. He's everythingless by the end of that movie. So. He I sure love the cross. The fountain of blood. He yeah. sure is. Can oh, hey, how great would it have been if the fountain of blood was still wearing the crop top, though? I have to point out the Tatum wears a shirt Tatum. at some point in this movie, and it it's a reference to Johnny Depp's crop top from Night. Oh yeah, Street. she has a little oh. crop top that's a, that has like the the numbers. A ten, I think. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> like a jersey style um, yeah. print. Yeah. Every time Wes Craven is referencing his own work, it just feels like such a wonderful power play. Like the fu- and the fuck you gonna do about it? Yeah, well, and also like, well, this isn't some Wes Car- or Carpenter movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, I like to hear John Carpenter's thoughts on that. Um, but uh, I, I there's a scene. Okay, par- I, I know like it's written in by Kevin Williamson, but that this movie so heavily references John Carpenter while being a Wes yeah. Craven movie just feels like it feels like Wes Craven giving some props here, which is is cool. Uh, but this is also totally. the scene where yeah. we get the rules, um, which is a, a I'd like to imagine they were that, buddies in real life. Yeah, a scene that continues to uh, show up places, which is uh, Randy gives the three rules that uh, you have to have to follow to survive a horror movie, which is never have sex, which he is, of course, saying this as Sydney is having sex, um, never drink or do drugs, which everybody there with him is doing, and uh, never see, never say, I'll be right back, 
um, because that's just which Stu does in his shaggy voice right away. Yeah, yeah, well, and this was also part of the ads. This was another another ad featured this bit or one of the trailers or whatever. Yeah, no, that's a lot of sort of the thesis statement of this movie is like there's things you can do to survive a horror movie. Um, they're metatextual. Uh, yeah, and Stu of course says uh, I'll be right back and goes to the garage to get beer, uh, a place where we know somebody is dead. This is when I knew that Stu was like a killer. This is like, mm-hmm. that was the moment where I'm like, aha, it's Lillard, I figured it out. So there's- Jacques movie. <laughs> Jacques. Um, yeah, there's a, it's interesting too, because like this whole movie, Billy speaks in movie terms. He speaks in movie and TV Oops. terms. Yeah. And so every conversation that he has with Nev Campbell- um has some sort of allegorical movie reference um although he says something about Jodie Foster and in, in uh um Silence of the Lambs having flashbacks with her dad which didn't happen in the movie but did happen in the book which is interesting to me because later on they say they never established why Hannibal Lecter eats people and I'm like yeah bitch they did in the books so yeah anyway i mean he's a regular homicidal lorelei gilmore so billy does not does billy look like a book reader well that's the thing is that he referenced the book but not the movie but then he referenced the movie and not the book well i mean silence of the lambs was a much better book than hannibal rising so yeah it's like does anybody really want to reference hannibal rising uh very good point but you know the fact that he's talking about flashbacks jody foster's flashbacks i'm like nah dog that was contact (laughs) like I think you're thinking of contact. Can't imagine why you would get it mixed up with Silence of the Lambs. But here we are. You yeah, do you, thing. Billy. Actually, don't. You're a crazy misogynist murder man. You do stew. We'll call you it. Do, you do stew. Now, there is there is one That's problem for the progression of the movie at this point, which is the house is full of people. Uh, so it's difficult to kill anybody. So somebody has to call the house and inform Randy that the principal is dead and has been uh, trussed up on the goalpost, at which point all of these fucking ghouls that go to this school are like, let's go check it out before they take him down. This is like, hate your principal, sure, but like, that's fucked up. This is a strategy that relies entirely, accurately, mind you, on everybody in this town being a fucking monster. It's suburbia. Just now realizing, having seen this movie so many times, I've always been like, why do they kill the principal? And I'm like, oh, it's to like get them to leave, I guess, so they don't have to well, kill I, in, I interpreted, and get school out. I, always, I also interpreted that as if they were treating the school as a hunting ground, then in that sense of like prideful entitlement way, how dare he deprive them of like their victims. Right. So like they, so like to me, it's like by closing the school, he was insulting their pride. And we see how that's like something they can't let go without killing. Yeah. So all these these guys rush off to go see the dead principal and almost run over Dewey and Gale in the process. They're Uh, all drunk. Causing causing Dewey and Gale to tumble down the hill (laughs) and... I guess have a romantic moment. Another favorite Joss Whedon trope from Justice League, in case that wasn't clear. I, I'm going to point out a couple things about the scene. Gail asks Dewey what his real name is. He says it's Dwight. She says, I'm sorry. That's pretty much the whole gist of that character. Thick friend. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it feels like she's like, What is your real name and how is it possibly worse than Dewey? 
Oh, it's Dwight. And Dude, then he's like, no, it's sexy. <laughs> I'm filming teenagers without their consent. Uh, I mean, that Gail, checks out for her character. So, yeah. Are fast and loose at the best of times. Yeah. At this point, also, they do the one useful thing that Jimmy uh, manages to do in this movie, which is they find Sydney's dad's abandoned car, um, which, I mean, really isn't useful because it turns out. You know, it's it's a plant. Um, meanwhile, back at the house, uh, Billy has Billy <laughs> Billy has gotten dressed uh, just in time to get attacked by the ghost face killer and stabbed. Um, and then uh, Sydney escapes through the window, diving into the uh, luckily placed boat outside. Uh, Billy just has the like <laughs> when you like when books describe eyes as piercing, they're fucking describing Skeet Ulrich in Scream. <laughs> It's bad that I'm so attracted to him, especially when he's being crazy. Dude, can I ask, the get what I think about this movie and hotness, the, I don't know if it's an actual gif or it's just a gif my brain has made up, is just him licking the corn syrup blood off his fingers. He sucks it, psychotic. yeah. That I is just like, tweeted it. That is by well, far the, the sexiest moment of the whole film. Yes! They're such a good, like, him and Stu are such a good duo. Because this is the thing that I observed when I was in the 90s and all the monsters I was hanging out with, which is one of the realism issues of this movie that made it real to me, even though it's, you know, some of these are fucking cartoon characters, but, like, they're still great. There was a pattern. You had tall, dark, and handsome and slightly shorter and funny looking. And that was the duo of dudes. Like, these, this is, this is... Well, this now we have a short works. psycho king and his tall, crazy-faced boyfriend. Yeah, so they kind of they kind of mixed it up a little bit. You know, I'm sure if if they recast, if Matthew Lillard wasn't Matthew Lillard, they would have cast somebody shorter for uh, Stu. But Matthew Lillard is just so him that he needs to be there. Um, but yeah, so they 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 do that dynamic as well as you know being interesting. Yeah, because yes. we just had uh, the the killing upstairs, and uh, she's jumped out the window. So Ghostface has to go find somebody else to kill. Uh, wanders downstairs to find uh, Randy having a monologue to the television as he watches Jamie Lee Curtis on Halloween, um, and is warning Jamie to look behind her. Jamie, look behind you. Uh, which has made really incredible, you know, this being uh, Jamie Kennedy, Jamie Kennedy in this scene, you know, he he gets, he gets interrupted, uh, does not end up killing Jamie Kennedy, but at the other end, we see shortly thereafter them watching this movie or watching what's happening through the camera. Kenny pops out to go warn somebody at which point he sees that the door is open and remembers that there is a 30 second delay and then gets immediately stabbed. Because uh, yeah. the thirty not second delay has not just finally stabbed, come back it, to get him. Not just stabbed, his he gets throat, throat is slit. Yeah. Right? yeah, Ghostface mixes it up a little bit for Kenny. And yeah. I mean, he was so into those Cheetos too. So R.I.P. Kenny. Those Cheetos. R.I.P. Cheetos. Yeah, he gets his slit Kenny. and then hides him on. Like Ghostface hides him on top of the van, which is that's a feels like a feat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, again, the Hannibal Art School. The part with the Sydney crawling through the van, like. That part also always creeps Again, me out. Again, that's yeah. the thing. I, when it comes to scenes that must have happened, I need to like struggling to get Kenny up on the roof of that. Right. <laughs> I do want to see a version of this movie that's from the point of view of uh, Stu and Billy. 
Like, I want, you know, I'm sure we have a lot of murder husbands out there. You want to see the Lion King one and a half version of this movie? Yeah, I want to see the Lion, the Scream one and a half, where it's like just silly, especially considering how can't wait till live action live one and a half <laughs> i can it's gonna make but, a billion dollars maybe a screen five those flashbacks will- yeah so if they do the flashbacks they gotta have like some sort of digital like i just want no i just want to see i don't care about screen five i just want to see screen one and a half where the two of them are like dysfunctionally trying to figure this shit out with each other and like Matthew Lord would be like, yeah, blah, 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 and then no, Billy's like, yo, oh, I, I can't deal with a digital CGI'd de-aged Matthew Lillard face. Billy, I, I put can't. him on top of the van. Why I, the fuck did you put him on top of the van? I don't know, man. It's, it's starting cool. It's cool, you know, it's getting the blood all over the windshield. There's definitely a version of Scream from their perspective, but unfortunately it stars Seth Rogen and James Franco. Have any of you oh, seen no. Sky High? No. No. That's either either definitely a superhero movie, a stoner movie, or a Sky High. That's like a 2005 uh, Disney superhero movie. Yeah. I I was going to make a joke about how Billy and Stu are like the villain couple of that movie. Um, Listen, you fucking. Just showing my age. (laughs) You fucking child. None of us were the right age. Twitter loves Sky High. 2005, if it wasn't Batman Begins and Casino Royale, I didn't give a fuck because I was an edgy ass 15 year old. Fuck. Oh my God. I was out of college. I was graduated. Wait. I was in Ireland. So. No. All of you, your homework is to go watch Sky High on Disney Plus. It's amazing. I I deny you. I deny you. (laughs) Fuck. Anyway, speaking of denial. Um, the huh, Randy and Stu. The, oh, no, so, really, the so, denial is that there's anything straight about Billy and Shep. Gil uh, and Dewey both run back to the house. Uh, Dewey gets stabbed, like comes out having been stabbed. Gail runs into the the truck or runs into the van and tries to take off uh, and finds Kenny dead and then crashes her van. Apparently, Dewey uh, died in the original cut of the movie, but then t- test scientists really liked him, so Wes Craven decided to let him live. Yeah, he was so cute. You can't, it's like he's he was the dog. He needed yeah. to live. He is. He's the fucking dog of this movie. You're right. Yeah, you can't kill the dog. And David Arquette as Sparky. Yeah. We're talking about the scene with Sydney in the car and he's like, playing with her yeah that was a really good like that scene was actually legitimately scary yeah he keeps keeps unlock and lock the car doors thing and then like when you see that back hatch open up i was just like oh this is so broken oh shit this is filmed so well yeah that was that you're right that was legitimately a terrifying moment and you can tell it's stew under there the way he waves those and stuff yeah no whenever the the ghost face killer is being flamboyant that's Stu. I think it's also definitely Ghostface Killer. I think we can agree that it's definitely Stu who drew very more punches in the face of a phone. (laughs) I mean, Stu has a pretty awful relationship with getting hit with phones, which we'll see again shortly. (laughs) Maybe the funniest (laughs) fucking thing in this movie. (laughs) Um, uh, So, yeah, uh, Sydney runs back to the house and ends up getting in this sort of like both Randy and Stu are there and they keep saying the other one is the one that's killing people. They have the whole like Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man thing going on. 
Oh, he's Every... the giant weird asshole that's killing people. Yeah, I love that. Best choice, which is like, I don't know which one of them it is. So she closes the fucking door and locks them both out. She says, there. fuck you right? both. Yeah. Which is exactly the right call. Yeah. And fuck then, them both. Then we get Billy. <laughs> There's so many like funny just falls in this. Billy just falling down those stairs. I laughed so hard when so Billy funny. fell down those stairs. He's like, like why? Billy is completely fine. He's I was like, well, I still gotta sell this before I make my big murder reveal. Time to just give myself a fucking concussion down these stairs. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Falls that falls his way down the stairs and then goes and opens the door and lets Randy in so that Randy can give him. He, I think he just lets Randy in so that he can get the setup line from him, which is Randy says, "Stu's gone mad," and Billy does. I for. All I hated this dude in the craft, this line reading of like, we all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> and like then specifically telling him that he's quoting Psycho as he like goes yeah. full on evil in this scene. It's crazy. Yeah. And TJ, I think you'll agree how much hotter he gets the instant he drops that line. Oh, like, t- well, and the instant that he owns up to being a serial killer, then you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I get it um, now. Yeah, so Neff Campbell has a gun so a here. Creep. He's a freak. Yeah, he's a monster. Okay. A super freak, maybe. Yeah. Oh, but um. Well, this is also the point. Only, where only, I, only, I mean, with the night when the knife fight gets involved. Murder boyfriends. Holy shit! When they are, I mean, do we want to talk about the scene where they are literally penetrating each other with knives? How can we I, not? I mean, we got it. This is the scene. Uh, this is the. This is. This is the pivotal scene in the film. Um, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. And um, let me look at the time. Yeah, okay, we're going to unpack it all. I'll save all the things I have to say about feminism. We're pretty close to the okay. end. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, um, the so uh, Nev Campbell has had a gun, and then um, Billy had the gun, and then shoot he shoot Randy, and then they go in the kitchen. And then uh, Stu and Billy are like, ha ha ha, we are evil and also gay. And then they, um, they like unveil the plan and- uh, They pull Sydney's dad out of a closet. Which yeah, the first Sydney. time I watched it, I was like, who is that? <laughs> oh yeah, right? Yeah. I figured it was the dad. And The dad's the real weak link of the cast. Like who the fuck is he? Mm, yeah. Yeah, but they, and okay. Like, we're, we're gonna pin it on him. Uh, they, they unveil their whole master plan as if they were themselves supervillains. Um, yeah, part of and, their, I mean, they clearly think they're super villains. Yeah, part of and, their master plan is to to stab each other, and they give each other directions on how to uh, penetrate each other. Don't go too deep. The level of close, too deep. Like, also, at this point, when they're pointing the gun at Sydney, like they are cheek to cheek. Yeah, like, they're, like they're all over each other. Matthew Lillard is like almost literally chewing on Skeet Ulrich's ear. Like he's got his little, like he's <laughs> right there by his head. And he's like, ooh, hoo, 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 what evil. And then, um, oh, okay, just... hold on. I do want to talk about the fucking Skeet Ulrich's reveal and Matthew Lillard's reaction to it, which is like, They've done this whole thing about how like there's no motive and isn't it better that way? And then mm-hmm. Steelrick reveals that his real motive is that uh, we haven't really talked about the whole thing with her mom much, but there's this whole thing about oh her mom wasn't really raped by Cotton Weary; they were actually hooking up, and maybe her mom has been hooking up with a lot of people. And it turns out that she is ho- had been hooking up with Billy's mom and been responsible for the breaking up of, of Billy's 
parents, at least to Billy's eyes. Uh, she was talking up Billy's with his dad. dad. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. Sorry. Yes, sorry. She was hooking maybe up with his dad. Maybe also his mom. Although maybe also his mom, but I mean, maybe both at once. That's great. Oh man, can we get the prequel where Mrs. Nev Campbell's mom is just like banging his parents? <laughs> the, but the like scream three. Billy reveals that after like their whole deal being that they don't have a reason to do this, that they don't have a motive, he reveals this in front of Stu and Matthew Lillard's fucking reaction to this is amazing. Just yes. boring boyfriend. It's just clearly like, what? Yeah, he's it's he clearly acts, the first time he's hearing this. He's so well heartbroken by the fact that like to know that his murder boyfriend actually has a motive. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also telling. It's like, did did Billy refuse to tell him, or did Stu just never even think to ask why they're gonna kill people? Yeah, to me, it reads like Billy was his. Stu thought they were equals, but then he's like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the pawn. Yeah, of course, Stu doesn't realize that he's ship. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 sensitive he and impressionable. It's an abusive relationship where they just abuse other people, but it turns out. Yeah. Oh no! Um, also, did anyone? I catch never thought the... the ghost would stab my face. <laughs> did anyone catch how uh, Stu presented the knife to Billy? It was yeah. like one of these where where they were like revealing their master plan, and uh, Stu like bows over like a vassal and presents the knife to Billy as Billy puts down the gun. I had never seen that before because it was always cut out by the. Uh, um, the pan and scan like edited for for not edited for content but edited to fit the screen mm. kind of shit yeah there was a lot of this movie that i did not see before because i was now watching it in high definition and on you know widescreen which was like whoa like it was a bit of a of a novelty there yeah the only problem with this part of the movie is that i'm from a logical point i'm like why did they start stabbing one another and like let her get away it was like why wouldn't you have made it a little bit more well they yeah, let would... her get away while they're stabbing each other it's the gail walks in at that point with a gun that like but, distracts but still, them like, long why, enough she's still alive like why right. would stabbing yourself not be the very last part exactly. of the process i'm pretty sure her just how fucking clever they are <laughs> yeah they want her to watch him penetrate still Look how yeah. clever I am as I stab myself. I'm outsmarting you. Okay, so I this bit here is like now that I'm watching it again with like the gayness, I feel like there is some pent up tension between these gentlemen. And I'm not talking about you like the know? sexual. T- oh my god, what? No, I'm not just talking about the sexual tension, but like I'm also now that that uh, Billy's like, oh yeah, I actually have a motive, and now they're mad at each other, and now they're like, you just kept fucking it up, and now that they're like actually, you know, um, stabbing each other, and now they're like, you know, mad because they got hurt, you know, and they're they're teenage boys, and they're like, ow, fuck you, no, you fuck you, and there's something about there's something toxically masculine about this. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be biting other podcasts to say toxic masculinity ruins the party again, but yeah, I feel like that's when everything started to to go south with them. Is that now that they're like they're you know they have this cockamamie plan to stab each other to make it more convincing that the dad did it, <laughs> you know, it just like comes to a head, so to speak. I'm really glad the movie doesn't end when Gail comes in to save the day but if it had i feel like it still would have been really satisfying because that that mo- her line where she's like 
the reporter comes to, finds the gun, and saves the day. And Sydney, yeah. I like that movie. Although Skeet Ulrich's, <laughs> Skeet Ulrich's line read of I know something you don't know is really like it's so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like everything after this is my favorite fucking part of this movie. Yes. Well, I feel yeah. like we missed like, the part. Well, I, I feel like we really definitely need to talk about Sydney getting the ghost face mask herself, mm-hmm. disappearing into the house, calling them on a cell phone, and completely flipping the script on them. Yeah, the role that's reversal. Where, yeah, that's where, like, all of the misogynistic bullshit in the beginning is, like, you know, you really, now you're, like, you have a vendetta against them, against, like, the tropes. You're just, like, fuck this. And so is she. And it's so cool because she like also, you know, she is in charge, even though she's like, she is a victim. She's a final girl and she's been through all this shit. She like throughout the movie, she's like pretty on top of it. I don't want to see it in every horror movie, but when they do it, I'm such a fan of the act three. Now, like the shoes on the other foot, like role reversal catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. Like we saw it, the victims. Like, like, uh, ready or not, I thought did a pretty, did a really good job with that too. Yes. Yeah. And like alien, well, it's aliens, just more of an action yeah. movie. I, I, I love how the first purchase turns into fucking diehard at the end. <laughs> I love the first, like the two reactions of, of the two characters to this which is like that fucking uh, Billy is like, I'm going to fucking find her and I'm going to fucking kill her. And meanwhile, his boyfriend is bleeding out. I think I'm yeah. dying here. Me too deep. I think oh. I'm dying. Have we gotten to the part where it's like, you threw a phone at me. <laughs> yeah, he gets the call from Sydney and is so pissed off about it that he throws the phone at fucking <laughs> Stu. And Stu says, you hit me with a phone. I like when Sydney says, says so hurt. Dude, he starts Stu, talking to Sydney. And then he starts talking to Sydney on the phone. And he's like, Sid, did you really call the police? My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Yeah, he's so pathetic. What a legendary line. And what an incredible meaning of that. Yeah, Matthew Lillard is absolutely... Both Matthew Lillard and um, fucking Skeet Ulrich are killing it in like these last 10 minutes. They're like, they're perfect after the twist. Like, they're so good. I have yeah. to say this about the Matthew Lillard role about his performance is that it is it also deconstructs the serial killer monster, you know? And this is something that is not really what the movie's about, but it's also like this crazy killer is just this sad kid, you know? Is the you know, he is a monster, but like um he's he's, you know, sociopath whatever um there's you have for it there's something very uniquely suburban uh it's suburban horror about that concept of look at all these normal people in our suburban society dedicated to normalness and an absolute monster can be like hiding behind that normalness mm-hmm. uh, and yeah you know, in twin peaks you see it in uh jojo's part four diamond is unbreakable and you see it here in scream and i think it's just a defined yes i'm mentioning jojo throw the jojo in there like yeah look it's a great example of this particular example of suburban horror of monster hiding within sub like suburb like 
suburban culture's thirst for normalcy. Yeah, and but also it's it it says something about the serial killer being yes monstrous but they're so out of touch with reality that they're essentially playing this role and then they become that role you know there's something about serial killer psychology there where they just are so convinced that they're something else that you know they can get away with all this shit and they have the entitlement to get away with all this shit and once that shit is stripped back and once that they they lose their streak or whatever they're just so fucking they're just they have a a fit you know, like a like a spoiled child, and so having Matthew Lillard being like, "My mom and dad are gonna be so bad," like it's I've, he's pathetic. I feel like yeah. yeah, I feel like Billy had this whole like ideology behind the whole horror movie aspect, and Matthew and Stu was just like, "I like Friday the Thirteenth. I'm gonna be like Jason." He just wants to yeah. be Billy. Yeah. Yeah, and he also, yeah. like, I mean, and he also was fucking, you know, a killer and toxic and shit, you know, in his own right. I mean, but- it's clear that, like, the very first kill, Drew Barrymore, that probably wasn't Billy's idea. That was probably clearly Stu, like, wanting revenge against, like, uh, the woman who dumped him. Yeah. Like, that was his own, like, that was an absolutely toxic misogynistic violent feelings of ownership and violence that seem to be very much comes from Stu. like Stu was the one who would be motivated to do that um and i do want to make the make the distinction here that you know the fan canon of them being gay and then like Stu's toxicity and and you know uh misogyny is very separate you know, these are two different mm-hmm. subjects that we're talking about because there's a lot of actual real toxic tropes and um, way, modes of thinking, especially with like serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer and stuff like that, that it, back in the day, especially during the AIDS uh, pandemic, um, that really, really hurt uh, the LGBT community because these, you know, these killers also were like, quote unquote, deviants, you know, yeah, this like- is not... Yeah, so I, I want to make that yeah. perfectly clear here. Yeah, um, Stu and Matthew Lillard are super fun, and the character is so much fun and so many great iconic lines, but they are still a horrible, like, ab- like toxic, misogynistic monster of a murderer. Yeah, right? I mean, they're the, the characters themselves we have fun with, but, you know, the, the actual psychology has nothing to do with the, the homosexuality yeah. <laughs> we're projecting char- right. being a good character does not m- mean you're a good human and in oh. most and in, and in a lot of cases they are ex- mutually exclusive absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah to so, me like, they i don't think they're gay like they're bi maybe some sort yeah. of queer, but like if someone were to ask me like oh do you think like they were really fucking no that is not like yeah. no they just weren't but do yeah. i think kevin williamson probably purposefully put that subtext in there i think there's a good chance a hundred percent agreed yeah totally and some people have a problem with the pansy ass mama's boy line but i love it that's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie i think that that i mean in terms of context i don't i think that that is you know it's okay because she doesn't she doesn't call him an f-bomb it's also just put her through so much it's like she can say whatever the fuck she wants to him at right. this point also yeah. this was 1996 yeah yeah it was 
Look, um, man, we made it through this whole movie, I think, without a single mention of like use of the R word, which by 1996 high school horror standards seems like a goddamn miracle. I don't think anybody said that in yeah. this whole movie. Yeah, this movie is is uh, yeah, thankfully the early 2000s movies we will we've watched will have that. Um, yeah, it doesn't. Okay, they're just so, all white. They are all white. Um, yeah. So yeah, so they're on the phone. Uh, Neff Campbell's on the phone with um, Stu, and Stu, and, and she's asking Stu, like, "Well, what's your motive?" And he's like, "Peer pressure. I'm very sensitive." <laughs> it's the whole part of this. Yeah, um, I really love the like setup here with uh, Billy, who is watching Halloween as he's looking for her and watches Michael open the closet to find Jamie Lee Curtis and he opens the closet and uh, out she comes and stabs him multiple times with an umbrella um, yeah. she goes real hard on this she goes part. she is full decisive penguin. she goes full penguin on him <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> go to heaven uh, yeah and then Stu tries to Stu tries to come help out, uh, is quickly tripped up, and then killed with a horror movie, which is really, really fucking yeah. fantastic. Or is he? On his head. I mean, ending scary movie five. He gets. I mean, he gets a cathode ray tube to the face. I don't know yeah. who can really walk away yeah. from that, but I don't know. Some people d- survive shot in the head. Yeah, they do a whole uh, shocked special, you know, shaking effect here. Um, which which pretty pretty hard sells it, um, and uh, Gail comes back with the gun. Uh, this time has turned the safety off and goes ahead and shoots Billy. Uh, we find out that Randy is still alive. He says he's never been so glad to be a virgin in his life. <laughs> and this is uh, he does mention that this is the part where the killer comes back for one more scare, and uh, Stu tries to pull it off. At which point, uh, yeah, Billy uh, tries to pull it. Uh, Billy, yeah, sorry, Billy tries to pull it off. And uh, Sydney shoots him right in the face and says, not in my yeah. movie. I love that both her and I, Gail both get to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sydney gets to kill I, both of them and Gail also gets that's, to kill. It does feel important that Sydney gets to deliver the final blow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it's sort of a fade out. You know, the cops are now there and Dewey's alive. And um, I mean, he's in a gurney and he's going into a, a um, ambulance, but he's alive and uh gail is you know all scratched up and shit but she's doing her um her news report and it pans over the beautiful vistas of marin county um (laughs) and uh we get a we get the uh whisper to a scream song which is definitely not kiss them for me by Susie sue listen to them both back to back you'll see Uh, i did also want to mention i I tagged this at the end of this list here that this had a five-page treatment for Scream 2 at the end of the screenplay by Kevin Williamson, um, which is what they later turned into the full script for the movie, um, which like is so clear as you're watching the movie that he is already thinking about the sequel and thinking mm-hmm. about what it means to have a horror sequel, planting things like having fucking Cotton Weary in this for half of a second so that they can like bring Leah Schreiber back in the next movie. Um, yeah, I am... I am in awe of uh, of Kevin Williamson in watching this movie. He's kind of an unappreciated titan of the inter- of like pop culture. Yeah, yeah, like between Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer, he like reinvented the slasher genre in the 90s. 
And fucking yeah. Dawson's Creek, man. Like, yeah. he created Dawson's Creek. And, like, that, that the thing... Creek. That thing went the a long stretch of time and had Dawson. a lot of influence on, on the world around us. Absolutely. At um, the, roughly the same time this stuff was happening shortly thereafter. Teaching Miss Tingle? Not so much. Um, <laughs> but they can't all be winners. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the one he directed. So, Look, if you have a good enough career that lasts long enough, there's going to be a stinker or two on there. So this movie is technically over now, but there's one thing that I wanted to, to mention that I didn't get to mention at the time because I forgot. Okay. There's a point in the background where uh, Rose McGowan and David Arquette have a literal slap fight. And that's the other Scream one and a half that I want to see is just a story about them before they both go out. Just like their fucking childhood. <laughs> just like... Give me like, if not a movie, give me like a young adult novel, like from the different yeah. perspectives happening during the movie. Or not even like a horror movie, just like those two characters <laughs> right. trying to like get through life. Like, it it's like a slice of, before the scream. Yeah, like a slice of life manga with Dewey, Dwight, aka Dewey and uh, uh, Tatum. Um but like re- retell it so she doesn't die at a fucking garage door because yeah. he deserves better. I mean, a screen five <laughs> coming out next January. Pitch some yeah. tie-in materials. I would, I would yes. die if, in some point in Scream Five, they were just like, "No, of course she's not dead. How do you think somebody would be crushed by a garage door? That doesn't even make sense." Right. <laughs> well, there is that. She fun just day. went limp. There- to bring up Scary Movie again, one of my favorite running gags is they kill off Regina Hall in every movie and then she just shows up again in the sequel with no That's explanation. That's brilliant. brilliant. Real, real Kenny situation. God. Speaking of, I did yell, they killed Kenny at one point in this movie. You bastards. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So. South Park happened. That's, yes. Still happening, I guess. Um, so that's a wrap for that one. Uh what would you guys let's talk a little bit about the uh politics of this movie easiest one race uh doesn't fucking exist in this movie yeah well i will say that the the um the black reporter she's the least shitty reporter she's the one who uh assaults verbally assaults nev campbell the least so (laughs) at least there's that she's obviously came in from like san francisco or something or like marin county being like oh not that marin county has yeah this any sort of diversity an aggressively white suburb yeah but you know a suburb yeah i mean it's santa rosa i think we get two black characters in the next movie wow (laughs) well again which is exactly what happened i seem to remember one of them dies in like the first five minutes of the movie oh christ he leaves and then the black girl dies like halfway yeah uh um, spoilers sorry so okay so really nothing about race Uh, yeah i mean it's it's a it's a failure in that respect i mean probably not wholly inaccurate to the place it's taking place but no real attempt to do anything I lied. I'm sorry. There's four black characters in the movie, and the two of them do die right at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. That's like saying through a bathroom stall door in the beginning of that movie. That's like saying it chapter two has queer representation because a gay couple gets horribly murdered in the first ten minutes. I will defend it chapter two. Will you defend will you defend its queer representation? Yes. Okay. Rather you didn't defend it chapter two. (laughs) I'm a defender. I 
We'll have to do that one time. It's a whole thing. All right, Iron Fist, calm down. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry for that. You just set up the defender line like so much. I had to do something with it. Yeah, talk to the screen, Bren. Bren, talk to the screen, Ben. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to. It freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> uh, this movie also doesn't deal with class in any way, which it very well could, because like there's always you know a, a poorer segment of middle class suburbs, uh, but yeah. it's not in this movie. They don't they don't bother. Um, you could in, very in easily fact, have Stu be the you know poor kid who's seeking acceptance and gets pulled into this partly partly because of that, but they don't. Interestingly enough, the uh, the quote unquote lower class part of uh, Santa Rosa is known as the South Park. Hmm. Maybe that's um, where Kenny's from. I'm looking. Uh, where Kenny came from. I mean, um, <laughs> uh, the mental health and disability portion of this is. I don't know. It's it's dicey. It's real real sci-fi mental health here. Like, you know, um lots of lots of sort of fake petty psychology in here. Um yeah. and not not a whole lot to say. There is there is the the way that they deal specifically with uh with Sydney's uh trauma and the recognition that like that's normal and she should be able to deal with her trauma. Uh, that the movie provides which is not maybe the most common thing at this point in horror movies yeah that's true i mean Mm -hmm. like also the fact that billy is recognizably a monster for telling her to to fucking get over it um you know that it's very good at telling us what not to do um in in reacting to horror and trauma or or when not to say reacting but um when confronting i'm comforting somebody you know one thing I am so glad about in that scene where Billy's like, fucking just get over me murdering your mom. What's the big deal? Is God. it is not a something Sydney just takes. She pushes back on that strenuously and immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they're walking through Pacific Market, they also talk about it where Rose McGowan's like, look, you've been through all this shit. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't deserve you. Like he doesn't, you don't. He can keep his dick in his pants as far like she says something like, you know, it, even though Nev Campbell's kind of like, oh, um, you know, I mean, not not unreasonable for her to be like, I mean, did I do the right thing um, by getting him arrested? And, you know, he keeps pressuring me to have sex and all this kind of stuff. Should I have sex? And Rosemary's like, no, girl, do you do you. Um, and that's not always. We all need like, a Tatum in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Tatum is aggressively supportive of uh, of Nev Campbell's decisions, you know, despite the fact that she's not quote unquote putting out. Um, I forgot one of the girls in the bathroom calls him Bubble Butt Billy. I forgot that. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> wow, no. this you know a term that is wow. Look at this totally Bubble butt boyfriend. Bubble Butt boyfriend Billy is actually look, everyone. Look at Scream. The totally straight and not at any way gay movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get into that then. Uh, the we're, LGBT representation in this movie. Where where are we at? I don't know. I just feel like I, I'm not sure if bubble butt is inherently a queer term, but I feel like the male gaze is so prevalent that it feels like any sexualized, like true, like sexualization of like the male form almost feels inherently queer at this point just because that straight cis male gaze is just so fucking on them yeah i think think the script just like reads like a queer text yeah it's like how 
you know, there's something kind of inherently queer feeling about um, <laughs> Hellraiser and E.B. with, uh, yeah, I, I'm forgetting the villain's name, but Frank. Uh, yeah, Frank. Yeah, Frank, how, okay, we only see him with a woman, but the movie's sexualization of him just feels so outside the norm that it's still queer. Yeah, I feel like we have a, a fairly neutral gaze in this movie because I definitely think, you know, there is a little bit of uh, cheap horror sexualization of Tatum, but also mm-hmm. I think Skeet that applies Ulrich to Billy licking, as well. Skeet Ulrich licking fake blood off his fingertips. Also, the way that Matthew Lillard, uh, the way that Stu's character is so touchy, you know, like he's it's 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 very um friendly and it's very like comfortable with that um you know other movies might not have that and and it's not part of his like crazy persona it's just like he's a cool goofball kind of guy um and you know seeing matthew lillard in other movies he's so friendly that you know he managed that's like you can see that that's part of his sort of like i'm just like any friendly guy persona you know and he's also not doing that kind of thing with anybody but his girlfriend and his dude friends he'll try anything once (laughs) yeah (laughs) so like are there any canonical uh lgbtqia characters in this movie not that we're aware you know not explicitly i should say um but there is a you know there's the neutral gaze there's um some considerations uh in the script that as you all said it's um you got to watch out for that neutral gaze. They're, you never know which way they're going to go. <laughs> these, I feel like Stewie and, and Stewie, Stu and Stewie. Billy are, are very like Disney villain levels of gay. Like they could start yeah. to be prepared and marching any minute now. <laughs> Billy yeah, and, like, and Stu. Sensational news. Billy and Stu feel like they should be the henchmen for Emma Stone's Cruella DeVille. <laughs> oh God. Oh, no. um, now, I guess here's the real question is scream feminist yes yeah i mean i feel um, like the most existentially terrifying parts of the movie are about ex- like the theme of violent misogyny and i feel like sydney is just such a great protagonist to like I think sydney and gail that. yeah yeah the fact that gail survives the movie says a lot because yeah. she is not she's presented as not likable sid is sid is the vic the quote-unquote victim and she displays so much more uh agency just in like reacting to the killers you know like the fact that she actually kicks the 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 killer off of her like you have that direct um juxtaposition of drew barrymore who you know does uh being the killer in the nuts and hit him with the phone and all that kind of stuff um but she does not like repeatedly kick and roll and you know manage to to um avoid the killer and she also um she kills at the end you know and that whole setup with like you know a woman couldn't kill when woman couldn't do this blah 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 blah. and then at the end she stabs billy multiple times with the umbrella and shoots him in the head like she is uh and she does it coldly like yeah. she's badass like she's fucking stone cold badass when she does that she's not like you know it's it's because you have a lot of final girls that are like screaming and shooting the gun and all that kind of stuff that are screaming and getting away jumping on trucks and then you know you see them defiantly survive but 
you don't see a lot of final girls, especially in like movies that predate Scream that, you know, where the Scream is referring to where the final girl kills the shit twice. She like puts on the mask. She calls them. This is a premeditated counterattack. Yeah. She's, she's (laughs) flipping the script um very explicitly i mean looking at halloween there's there's several points in that in those films specifically where jamie lee curtis almost or sort of kills uh michael myers but like it's always like she runs until she can't run no more and then maybe finds a way to you know finally she blows up a whole freaking hospital in the second one just to you know kill him um like that sydney walks away at the end of the first one I like that Sydney takes the symbol of what has been terrorizing her and then uses it to empower her at the end. Yeah. I think that's really great. That, that was she a great also, element. She has sex and survives. She chooses to have sex. She's the one who says, okay, now. And then um, that's when it finally happens. Um, Let's be real, though. If Sydney didn't have sex issues before this like night, oh boy is after tonight yeah. she be, has yeah. some trust issues yeah well i mean those indigo girls will lead the way <laughs> but True. really if they ever kill sydney like in screen five if that comes out and they kill sydney you will find me re- <laughs> a hashtag <laughs> on twitter <laughs> you're kind of re- I, mean, everything. <laughs> I feel like again we said like scream is unique in being a protagonist driven yeah franchise like it feel like it feel as wrong as Evil Dead actually killing off Ash Williams. Yes, yes. Like at this point, it almost feels like Sydney almost even knows like I'm over this. Like you're going to fail. I've done this so many times, and like I guess that could be a tiring thing to keep feeding into every movie. But it's if you kill her, it's like what's the yeah? Well, it's like the Alien series. I feel like the only way to kill her is to ever do a movie where it's like she's ghost face no yeah. i think that too I'm well just, i yeah, mean that's also her but like she look, would have to i'm pretty big that i believe that scream six should be into the scream where <laughs> we get the mo- scream multiverse to allow all of the ghost faces to like team to return i would want to find a ghost face that's actually sydney yeah. yeah, and I think you're. I I'm getting this sense that you're really into multiverses. <laughs> I just think, think it's really cool when comic books predict actual like quantum physics. Ben, I keep telling you to write me fanfics. Write me that fanfic. I will go. read it. Will Scary Movie be part of that universe? Oh, it has to be. Like, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like that has to be like when the actual Spider Verse comic introduced Hostess Fruit Fruit Pie advertisement Spider Man. As a character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all that said, do we think this movie is worth seeing? Do you guys recommend it? Oh my yes, god, absolutely. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's here. a fucking I again, I just saw it a few days ago. It's an iconic film. It's my oh, favorite yeah. scary think, movie. I do think it's better if you've seen everything it's referring to. Like if you've seen Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the thirteenth and all of these other things. Uh, I, I think it makes the movie better, but like I any, don't know that that's yeah. necessary. I mean, like, it's like anything that relies on its meta-ness. It's benefited if you 
are able to engage the movie with the conversation it's having with the genre. Yeah, it's just like WandaVision. And if you've seen 70 years of sitcoms. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, all that said, what do we have to recommend for people who enjoyed this movie? TJ, what do you have? We've mentioned it a few, well, besides Scream 2, 3, and 4, and we've mentioned Ready or Not. I can't remember if I suggested this last time I was on, but it is extremely relevant right now because the directors of that are directing Scream 5. Oh, yeah. oh that's nice. fun. Yeah, I feel like Ready or Not just has a lot of the same energy. And, you know, it makes, I, I was very worried that if they ever did a Scream 5 without Wes Craven, but I feel like it has the potential to be really good with them. Yeah. yeah. And if, if people want to watch Ready or Not, we've already done an episode on that with Justina Ireland. So absolutely check that out as well, because that movie's great. Um, Emily, what do you have to recommend? Um, I have a list. But, oh boy, this uh, list. <laughs> the list. The list. Okay, so um, if you like Neff Campbell and Skeet Ulrich, watch The Craft. Um, this is also very, very... Maybe not very, very, Maybe not, but he's in it. He's part of it, um, but uh, that that movie is just soundtrack wise, um, also very iconic '90s wise. Again, um, not as profound, uh, but stylistically, definitely there. Um, if you want a the the comedy version of this movie, watch Clueless, which is actually referenced in this movie as if um yep. clueless is is another very important quintessential 90s movie it's, it's um, very directly referenced because Rain, uh, uh Stu says as if and randy says all right alicia yeah and so um that's great yeah alicia especially because as if is one of those things that is that like entered the parlance it, it's so common that i feel like people don't even remember that it's feet quote so for yeah. that quote to have been so new that it's still directly associated with Alicia Silverstone. I also think that Clueless is another interesting, a really, really interesting sort of meta commentary. <laughs> um, in this case of Jane Eyre, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, aside from all of the horror movies that are referenced in this movie, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Millennium and the X-Files are also very, very good 90s uh, contexts for horror um you know tv 90s kind of um that sort of you know serial killer monster of the week kind of thing and if you like matthew lillard i would recommend hackers um that another very very early 90s movie um oh so iconic and then very good soundtrack as well and slc punk which is probably one of matthew lillard's best performances and a really really great albeit sad movie um, about punks in Salt Lake City in the 80s. I think I might have seen SLC Punk something like 20 times within uh, four years I was in college. So oh, yeah, it is it is the college movie. It's very good. Uh, yeah. Very sad, like you said. Um, yeah. Uh, ben, what do you have? So I talked about Scary Movie a whole bunch this uh, uh, podcast, but uh, if I'm, and I'm going to recommend something from that. But my personal favorite of the Scary Movie franchise is actually Scary Movie 3, which combined uh, Signs and The Ring and was featured the galaxy brain casting of Charlie Sheen as satire Mel Gibson and, in turn, and has the surprising behind-the-scenes talent of directed by David Zucker, who did Airplane and the Naked Gun, and 
I kid you not, written by creator of Chernobyl, <laughs> Craig Mazin. What? Yeah. Wait. Chernobyl and Scary Movie 3, written by the same guy. Like the- Yeah, chew on that. HBO series? Yes. What? Yeah, that's real. His dude's got range. So, I have a couple things I want to recommend. Um, Wes Craven, unfortunately, died in 2015. Um, but his late movies post scream, he just went weirder and weirder and weirder. And I love those movies. Um, Wes Craven's new nightmare, which is the last real nightmare on Elm street, um, is weird meta shit where like they're making a new nightmare on Elm street movie and it's causing Freddy to come into the real world. And it's really fantastic. And a lot of the same way scream is because it's recognizing and playing with the horror tropes. Um, Also, um, two of his his later movies, Red Eye, um, which is a fantastic movie about a woman who gets stuck on a train or a plane next to a guy who's trying to uh, convince her to help murder some people. Um, It's really fantastic. Uh, It's got Killian Murphy in it being just creepy as hell. And Cursed, which is a weird fucking werewolf movie um, with lots of like just really out of place uh meta humor jokes and all kinds of, of weird shit in there I, I definitely think that's a movie we need to talk about on here at some point because it's real fucking weird i i love all of those people should definitely check those out um another one that i'd recommend thematically to go with this movie that uh, i was definitely thinking of quite a bit when we were talking about um stew and uh billy but, but largely stew is um recently i watched better watch out um which is Another suburban horror movie uh, that is has a twist in it, which I am really hesitant to give away, but is is incredible in the weird horror movie that it is, and how how heavily it plays with um, horror movie stuff to set things up for you, and is in its own way. I, I, I like to say it's it's kind of like what if Home Alone was a horror movie. Um, <laughs> Which is, I mean, sounds amazing. The movie is very good. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Hmm? What's it called? Better Watch Better Out. Watch Out. Okay. That's always how I talk about your next. I don't know if you've seen that one. I love your next. I always say that's like Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and your next has a, I think, has a great like female protagonist that follows in the footsteps of, of Sydney here. Um, it's definitely one people should check out as well. Um, yeah. But those are, those are my recommendations for this one. So definitely go check those out. I think we've given people plenty of stuff to, to go look up. Um, before we... The Scream TV show. I haven't seen the Scream TV show. Is it good? It's not good. No. Uh, no There's no. T- two seasons. They're awful. And then there was a third season that, that was like a reboot called Scream Resurrection. And it's all about like exploring black stereotypes and horror, which like could have been really good, but it wasn't. Hmm. Yeah, all I know about the Scream franchise is that one of the like mean recurring characters in the tv show is non-binary or at least the actor is um, yeah i think they played a i think she was bi on the show um she being the character um yeah not good not good instead of doing scream five and six ten years ago that's what they did instead oh no you know mtv um yeah oh it was right. bex taylor claus who was in it yeah yeah they're awesome yeah. Uh, so with all that said, let's let people know where they can find us online. Uh, TJ, where can people find you and, and your work online? 
You can find me at Troyfin2 on Twitter, where I talk about all things book-related. You can also find me on Gotham Outsiders. That is also our Twitter handle, uh, where we talk about Batman through a feminist and queer lens. And yeah, I thought that was it. All right. And Emily, where can people find you online? Um, I'm Mega Moth on Twitter. Um, I am Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and Mega Moth on Patreon um, and uh, on Tumblr and various other places. Um, Megamoth.net on the internet. I have art. I do the art. Um, working on Princess Volume 10. It's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, and then also we have uh, Progressively Horrified on Twitter, um, which you can find through my Twitter because what I, uh, I like to talk about. And tell us about Progressively Horrified on Twitter, Jeremy. I'm going to let Ben talk about uh, where the people can oh, find yeah. Ben online first. My bad. Yes. Tell us so about that. You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at BenTheCon, my website at BenConComics.com. Upcoming graphic novels, uh, Renegade Rule, a sports action comedy, is coming out this May. And I'm happy to announce that the graphic novel tie-in, Vsauv's Immortals Phoenix Rising, uh, will be coming out this September. Uh, it is my first work for hire uh, franchise comic, so Woo! check that out. This week, woo! Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Pre-order you. now. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. It's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. And I'm at jeremywhitley.com. Uh, I'm sure you can order or pre-order things that I'm, I'm working on right now. I know School for Extraterrestrial Girls Book 2 is coming out this summer, and that is available out there for pre-order on Amazon and fine bookstores like that, uh, as well as... Uh, Marvel Action Chillers is all wrapped up now, so the single issues are out if you want to go track them down or on Comixology. And they're so good. coming out soon. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to write. It was a you know, nice, scary Halloween story that finally finished in February. Uh, <laughs> not as, not, didn't come out as quick as we had anticipated. But uh, as for the podcast, Progressively Horrified, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Progressively Horrified. If you wouldn't mind going there and, and supporting us just a couple of bucks uh, to help us make this great content you're enjoying right now. We would so appreciate that. On Twitter, we are Prog Horror Pod, as in Progressive Horror Podcast. Uh, we would love for you to follow us there. Our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm. If you're looking for a good place to subscribe to stuff, they have all the links there. We're on Google, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, anything you can possibly think to download podcasts from, and a few you probably haven't heard of. There, all the links are right there. Um, and please, if you if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. Please uh, rate the podcast so that other people can find it and give us some great reviews. All the stars you can possibly manage to hand over, we would appreciate that. I do want to thank TJ so much for coming on and, and enjoying Scream with us again. Uh, we'd love to have you back anytime, TJ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you ever want to talk about any of the sequels, like leading up to the new movie, I just beep me. I'll be there. <laughs> we'll beep you. Yeah. If the apocalypse comes, beep me. Sounds that's, my, good. that's my Buffy reference. Get ready to ex- <laughs> expect a beep in the imminent future. Okay, cool. I also love I'll Saw. So the Saw franchise is my guilty pleasure. Bless. I'm... I'm dreading the day we head into, we inevitably wade into the territory of 2000s torture porn. I love Saw. 
Yeah, I'm don't gonna... get me wrong. I'm down for Donnie Wahlberg dying over and over again. <laughs> ben said they're like, I, I have the appeal of seeing him die. And I was like, don't worry. He dies like five times. Nice. I'm like, go on. Like, maybe this franchise has something for me after all. <laughs> and Ben and Emily, thank you so much for joining me again. Um, of course. Thank and you, thank Jeremy. You. Love you. Love to be here. Thank you. Me too. And uh, thank you so much to all of you for listening. We love you, and we're so happy that you're here, and we will see you again next week. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and T.J. Finnessy. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. <laughs>